Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and this movie is why I don't read books anymore. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. If I found an abandoned ancient book, I probably just won't open it. How yeah, about that? That's something people should give a try at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Of course, those are all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Evil Dead Rise. Uh, Jeff Kanata could not be here for the podcast today. He is traveling, and so he's not here for scheduling reasons. But we are really excited to have writer Max Avery join us to cover Evil Dead Rise later on in the review. So look forward to that. Also, Jeff will be on the After Dark this week, which you can find at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, the place where you can sign up for ad-free episodes as well as exclusive After Darks. Obviously, in the last few weeks, we've been doing a rewatch, or in my case, a first-time watch of all the Evil Dead movies leading up to today's episode. It's been a lot of fun. Been really grateful to have all that context heading into this movie, Evil Dead Rise, which is doing pretty well at the box office this weekend. So uh, probably going to be more Evil Deads in the future. We will see. Uh, okay, uh, in the meantime, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. And do check us out on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at thefilmcastpod. Find us on TikTok at thefilmcast. We're posting new videos there uh, every other day, typically at least. Uh, join the thousands of people watching Filmcast content over on those platforms. We'd love to have you. We got a little bit of film news for you this week. Uh, and then we got some what we've been watching, some weekly plugs, and then our review of Evil Dead Rise. So, Divinger Hardware, let's get into it. Now, one bit of film news that we did not discuss, which happened like two weeks ago, uh, but now we're talking about it because we had the the summer movie wager last week. Well, actually, on that note, I did want to make one follow-up on the summer movie wager before we even get to the <laughs> uh-huh. Uh First of all, thanks to everyone who tuned into the summer movie wager. Like A lot of fun to see... Uh, that episode got into the world. Thank a big thanks to Dennis for launching the summer movie uh, where you have just a few precious days to enter and be part of the leaderboard uh, before guardians of the galaxy volume three comes out in early May. But uh, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that, uh, you know, we, we had a tiebreaker. We, we mentioned that there's going to be a tiebreaker on last week's episode and we, I didn't actually cover it during the episode itself. Um, so I, we actually did record, uh, or not record, but had a separate, uh, email thread where we got everyone's tiebreaker choices. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the tiebreaker choice was, uh, in the event of a tie, each one of us would predict what the number one movie at the box office would make this summer. And whoever's closest would then win the summer movie wager. So, uh, the amounts that were quoted were David Chen, 450 million, Jeff Kanata, 410 million. Peter Serretta, 405 million. Jermaine Lucier, 412 million. Devinder Hordor, 475 million. Devinder coming in bullish. I think it's going to be a hot summer. Yeah. On the U.S. summer box office. So we'll see. So yes, we, we did say we would do a tiebreaker. It wasn't on the main episode uh, last week, but I am covering it now. There, there will be a tiebreaker. We've all submitted our guesses in. Those are the guesses in the event of a tie, which, by the way, seems extremely likely on this year's <laughs> version of the Summer Movie Wager. Um, I think our lists were more similar than in any other previous year. Mm-hmm. And we will find out uh, who wins uh, this fall. So it's going to be a I, lot I of fun. There's some, uh, I want a decent dose of chaos. I feel like that always makes the summer movie wager more fun. So yeah. I, I, think, things will I, I don't know if you've got any list. feedback on the list, uh, uh-huh. Devendra, but I think that... The, I think the Barbie thing, we may, we may all be hurt by Barbie, basically. For for not putting it higher, you mean? Yeah, for not putting it higher. Yeah, yeah I, that's a, that's a possibility. Um, yeah. I, I think Jermaine and I put it at number eight. 
and some people think it could, could be even higher than eight. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, Barbie is is projected to open at thirty million dollars. I'm thinking it could open literally double or triple that amount. Like uh-huh. my uh-huh. my guess pegs it at double or triple that amount. Some people think even that's still too low, but I, I, I'm just saying I, I think I am. I have attempted to give Barbie its due, but you're right that it could be even higher than that for sure. Yeah. Um, the 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 ferocity of the fandom is intense for that movie online. A um, couple of other things that I heard from people uh, just reacting to the episode. Uh, one of them, one common trend was a lot of people saying we are off our rocker for not putting Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning as number one. Like a lot of people seem to be convinced that that movie will be number one. Uh, They've never done know. as well as we wanted them to. Yeah, so. exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think I think we're we've been we've been burnt by how not well the Mission Impossible movies have done in the past, so that's why we have put them there. You know, so uh, but I think most of us put it at like four or five, so yeah. or, or lower. I, so. I put it higher than I typically put a Mission Impossible movie. I think, but the, uh, people do think like it's going to be a rehash of what happened to Top Gun Maverick. And people, I don't know if people went to Maverick for Tom Cruise technically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's I think very very well put, Devendra. Um, and then the other thing that uh, I saw a trend with was, uh, you know, like kind of people thinking Guardians 3 won't do that well because of Marvel fatigue. But also, on the flip side, a lot of people thought we were just completely unhinged from reality in putting Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny so high. A lot of people let, let, think yeah. that movie is not going to do well. And I, I think that's very possible. It's very possible, but uh, that was my hopeful pick. That was my, you know what? I want James Mangold to have a win. Yeah. I, I want this to be a good end to the franchise because we Devinger's probably will not see Devinger's a big Mangold fan. Either. He's a big yeah. manhead, you know? Yes, so I am. You're Devinger the manhead. But I I, uh, I am not sure. And I think, as you hinted at, Devendra, one of the fun things about every summer is there's usually always one or two movies mm-hmm. that become the story of the summer. You know, yeah. like that were completely unanticipated by us, at least that people, some people saw coming, but that just ultimately end up being a surprise. Last year it was Top Gun Maverick. I remember when Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One came out, and it it came out in August, and people didn't think it would do that well because it came out in August, also because it was an August release, and so like mm-hmm. typically studios typically don't put August releases like a, a bunch of great movies in August, uh, but that movie obviously ended up being a massive success. So who knows what? the big story is going to be this summer. You know, Oppenheimer will make a billion dollars. Barbie will make a billion dollars. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but what what I do know is it's always fun to watch us fail spectacularly. And uh-huh. that, in, in public, yeah. I'm going to bet money that people are going to turn out for that. You know? <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, but thanks to everyone who wrote in and reacted to The Summer Movie Wager and a big thanks to Dennis for maintaining thesummermoviewager.com. Okay. So, uh, Sorry for that slight detour. Let's get back to the news. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Warner Brothers held a big presentation where they announced a ton of product. They announced a ton of shows that are happening. Mm-hmm. But the biggest news is that they decided that their HBO Max is soon going to be dropping the term HBO. It will just be Max. That was one of the big pieces of news. Another big piece of news is that they are betting big on Harry Potter. There's going to be a Harry Potter TV series that they are going to plan to be executing for the next decade or so. Those are the, the I, kind I of big pieces of news, right? So yeah. uh, both extremely dismaying pieces of news, in my opinion. I mean, look, is, is it going to make a big difference for their numbers? Maybe. The motivation for dropping HBO Max, uh, sorry, HBO from HBO Max, is because they felt 
that HBO was limiting the audience they could reach. Yeah. Um, like they, they, they have reached a saturation point with who is going to subscribe to an HBO Max. And so they, they're thinking, hey, let's drop the HBO. It's the, the HBO brand is an albatross. Let's drop it. Except it's both their premier brand that they still talk about, too. Like, yeah, we, we don't want, you know, HBO to go away. Just want it to be in like a little corner of this app. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's now like the tagline is Max, the one to watch for HBO. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of uh, HBO Max, it's now Max, the one to watch for HBO. Yeah. I, HBO I can sort of buy that. HBO will be, HBO yeah. will, will be a sub brand. And, and yes, mm-hmm. maybe there are a lot of people out there probably who aren't co-hosting this podcast and who aren't listening to this podcast who see HBO Max and think to themselves, that's not for me. I'm more, yeah. uh, Dr. Pimple Popper. Well, I'm, you know, I'm also thinking here comes mainly, Honey Boo Boo. Here comes Honey Boo Boo. That's the kind of programming I want. I'm never going to subscribe to an HBO Max. It's Instead, parents. I'm gonna, in, it's in, parents. Like that's the thing. Like HBO's uh, the big the big competitor is Disney Plus, and Disney Plus has been kicking butt since its first day. Like I think in the first day hit like 10 million signups. Like that thing has been on fire because it's freaking Disney and it has everything. It has stuff for adults. It has stuff for kids. A parent can sign up for Disney plus and like make a kid account and be certain that what their kid is seeing is like relatively safe. Right. You, you just like turn off your brain, let Disney plus do the work. Um, when, when this news hit, I was basically primed to do a hit piece on Engadget. I was just like, yeah, it's really dumb. Seems like a really dumb idea to drop your key branding yeah. from uh, the name of your service. Every, everybody knows what HBO is. Nobody knows what Max is. All we we think of Cinemax, maybe, and that's not exactly the best brand you want people to be like bringing into 2023. Um, but I do think the reasoning ultimately d- may kind of make sense for that broader audience because, first of all, doesn't matter what this thing is called. If if Succession or your Game of Thrones right, spinoffs right. or whatever, like people will go to the thing to yep. see the shows that that have the HBO on it. Absolutely, you know? so absolutely. I feel like that part makes sense to market it more broadly, especially to families and to you know people who want all sorts of stuff. Like, yeah, you can't quite bring in the Discovery stuff under the HBO branding, right? Because when you think of HBO, you think of different things than you do of like a Discovery reality well, show, right? Too, right? The, the thing that's weird is just they spent all this time trying to expand the idea of the HBO brand, right? right? By putting right. it into HBO Max. Now you can see the Big Bang Theory, but he, he you know? yeah, yeah. And he, now you can I see all like these other things, and, and that it's wasn't like they, fully right, they, thing. They've decided, yeah. hey, we've gone as far as we can with that. Let's change tactics. Yeah, uh, which is again. On the face of it, Devendra, I agree, sounds dumb, but it's like, okay, there is a kind of logic to it. Will it actually succeed? Mm-hmm. I am very dubious that yeah. there's like a whole 10 or 20 million people who wouldn't have subscribed to HBO Max that will now subscribe to a more expensive service that's simply called Max. I, I don't it's, know if I believe that. It's, you know, but. We, we are watching like a succession plot line in real time, basically, <laughs> yeah, because HBO yeah. Max was not David Zaslav's product, right? He is the head of right, uh, Warner right. Brothers. He came on last year when the Discovery merger completed, right? Yeah. So he came over from Discovery. These media people, all the, all they want is their own things to mm-hmm, succeed. They yeah. want to make yeah. a big announcement. They want to point to it and be like, I did that. Yeah. You know, and I feel like this is his big move. I don't. I don't think he may. I don't think he's entirely wrong here because when we we talked about HBO Max when it launched, it was buggy. It was it felt like a haphazard launch because everybody was rushing to catch up to Disney Plus. Uh, Apple TV Plus also launched like a couple months before HBO Max. That was a weird season of just a whole bunch of new streaming brands and HBO Max just was n- never quite ready. Um, it couldn't do simple things like remind people like, hey, your your payment for for this subscription 
didn't go through. Maybe maybe you want to redo that. And they they lost subscribers because of that too. There's a lot of stuff in their technology stack that they didn't have. They couldn't do recommendations like unearth uh, personalized recommendations of shows. So all you had to go on was like the stuff HBO Max put in front of you. You know, that's just not... There's a lot of things I feel like HBO Max needed a reboot for. I wish they didn't make us pay more for 4K though. That is a bummer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, anyway, uh, the... Max brand is launching in May, and so don't be alarmed if HBO Max becomes Max. That's what's happening. Uh, but we will see if this gambit of a name change actually works out for them. I am extremely skeptical, but at least there is some bizarre internal logic to it. Um, they, the, they paid tons of consultants for this. Like oh, this is not oh, yes. just based on their like. It's not a see the pants move. Like it right. is. There is sure business strategy here. Yeah. Remove the HBO. It's cleaner. You know. Yeah. That's what. Uh, so the other thing is this Harry Potter series. Um, I'm just going to call it right now. I think this will be a disaster on multiple levels. Um, mm-hmm. I think it will be kind of the artistic, or you, it will you be artistically like one of the fastest selling games that just came out right now. It will be artistically yeah, disaster. How about that? It will be artistically yeah. disaster because even in the announcement, they're using the same Harry Potter font. They're using right, right. Uh, the same score from Jump. So it's like, okay, how is it going to be different then from the mm-hmm. original? Like, what? It, what is? Where is the vision? for this. I, I, it doesn't feel to me like a creator came in and said, I have a vision for, for this. It feels like we, it feels like we as a media company need to yeah. show that we're in the, we IP own this. Game. It's been 20 years. Exactly. Let's uh, go again. Exactly. It feels, yeah. uh, so I'm going to predict it, it takes a lot of work to shepherd something like this and a lot of vision to shepherd something like this, um, into a good place artistically for the period of a decade. We don't even know if Zazoff's going to be around in five years. Yeah. You know, like no, nobody uh, knows. Just, so, I am predicting not great things for that. And uh, that's not even counting in JK Rowling's politics, which are obviously, I, I feel like that um, is, that's the ultimate thing. Like, Hey, they have this property without the JK Rowling stuff and her transphobia and she sucks. And I just want to make that very clear. Um, even without that, like there are a lot of people who did not like the movies or it felt like it didn't fully um, get what people uh, got from those Harry Potter books, you know? So there is, there's a lot of stuff to mine here. Like I totally see the, the vision of doing like a TV series, maybe not a full 10 seasons. God damn. Um, but you know, I, I get the, I get the impulse to do it. I just wish it was a creatively led impulse and not just like a, Hey, this is money sitting on the table. Why aren't we making money from this money machine? Best case scenario, it's going to be some kind of uncanny valley thing where it kind of feels like the old movies, mm-hmm. but not really. I mean, you, you know, a best case scenario for something like this is like Damon Lindelof's Watchmen, where it really honors kind of the source yeah. material and has a new take on it and is extremely relevant for our times. Likely I not d- the case here because that ended in one season. He was like, I have an idea. This is my <laughs> idea. I'm done. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't. Yeah. I just. I'm very pessimistic about it, but who knows? You know, any anything could happen. But so far, nothing has happened that mm-hmm. inspires confidence in, in that project. So, anyway, um, wanted to just talk briefly about that before uh, we talk about some of the other film news that happened this week. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more film news and entertainment news right after this. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, StoryWorth. I love talking about StoryWorth. Uh, a couple of years ago now. I decided to make Mother's Day extra special for my mom because I got her a unique heartfelt gift that truly made her feel special and loved. And it wasn't just a gift for her. It was a gift for my entire family that we can cherish for years to come. It was the gift of StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones 
preserve precious moments and stories for years to come. It's a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of options. These are questions that you may never have had the chance to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or, if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? Really cool, interesting stuff that yields responses that I never predicted from my mom. I did this with my dad on Father's Day, too. So now we each have one. And then, after a year, StoryWorth will compile your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. I have one now for my dad. I have one for my mom. I did my dad's on Father's Day, my mom's on Mother's Day. And now my kids and their kids and every generation after has this keepsake in their own words that lets them have a little insight into who their grandparents were. The book is amazing, but the journey there is also a gift itself because I got to read their responses week to week. The coolest thing is that StoryWorth also emails those stories to me in real time as my parents were filling out their answers. And so I got to see them take it so seriously and get excited about answering questions week to week. So you should do it. Give all the moms in your life a unique heartfelt gift that you'll all cherish for years. Story worth. Right now for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash filmcast. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Save $10 off your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash filmcast. Devendra, the other thing I wanted to mention is Netflix shut down its DVD and Blu-ray physical mail service. uh, You you were one of the last subscribers to that, right? (laughs) I was a subscriber in spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those who don't know, Netflix owned a service called DVD at DVD.com where they would mail you Blu-rays and DVDs. And they have shut it down. They said, like, the decline of the physical media market has led them to shut it down. The original, I mean, you gotta tell kids, like, this is this is what Netflix was before it was all streaming. Before it was streaming, that's what this is. You had you had a online queue and you would mm-hmm. add movies to it. And it was actually amazing. It was actually amazing. It was, it was, amazing. It was yeah, amazing. because we didn't have to go to Blockbuster, you didn't have to go to your video store, you didn't have to yeah, worry there was about no late fees. fees. Yeah. There's no late fees, and the uh selection was incredible. Mm-hmm. It was just Every movie you could ever conceive of was on there, and it was just—it was—it was an awesome service. And uh, on the one hand, very few people use the service; it's becoming increasingly irrelevant. On the other hand, it sucks because mm-hmm. it sucks that this is going away. Um, because every time there's a new format, when you go from VHS to DVD, when you go from DVD to Blu-ray, when you go from Blu-ray to streaming, every single time you lose. A bunch of movies. A bunch of movies never make that jump. Uh, I'm reading from Ty Burr, who had an article at the Washington Post called, For Movie Lovers, There's a Darker Side to Netflix Ending DVD Rentals. He mm-hmm. writes, quote, With the de- disappearance of the mail by, rental-by-mail business model, uh, physical media and entire swaths of cinema history come closer to winking out of the average public, uh, consumer's consciousness. And that's bad news for the public in general and film lovers in particular. 
Uh, let's consider the individual titles that are in danger of being forgotten, that are DVD or Blu-ray only, but not available anywhere on demand. Remember Cocoon? Ron Howard's 1985 drama? I hope you do, because it's not streaming anywhere. It never has been. Shortcuts, Robert Altman's blistering all-star adaptation of nine Raymond Carver stories? Sorry, not available. Martin Scorsese's New York, New York? Nope. The 1972 Michael Caine Lawrence Olivier mystery thriller Sleuth? Nope. Henry and June, the first movie to be given an NC-17 rating. Teen cult classic Pump Up the Volume. The 1983 Meryl Streep biodrama Silkwood? Nope, nope, and nope. End quote. And he goes to list a bunch of other movies. That, like, are you, The further back you go, the, the more dire mm-hmm. it becomes. Mm-hmm. We are losing massive chunks of cinema history all the time. And this is another way in which it's going to be lost. Like, There's just going to be a whole bunch of incredibly important movies that are just really hard to access for this generation and that sucks it sucks it does suck if um i mean yeah we we've talked about the the sort of like slow death of physical media too like even like i used to buy a lot of blu-rays and stuff and now like if i love a movie if i love a thing and there's a new edition of it out i will probably buy it um i don't buy new movies that much unless i absolutely love it because yeah, the streaming for new things is mostly taken care of and we mostly get like the good stuff. Right. So you can easily just go all digital. But I have a lo- large library of movies that I can't see in any other way. And I like having that. It's a shame that we're not going to have this anymore from Netflix. Uh, I do want to point out to people, hey, go to your local library where they often have lots of physical media. That is why they exist. And libraries need your support right now. So maybe check those out because you can find games there too. You can find movies, um, ebooks as well. Um, I feel like this is a good time for people to take a closer look at what their libraries offer. And also, hey, if you like a movie, just buy the movie. Buy, Keep that disc around because you never know when you could use it. I don't know if you saw Aaron Gordon over at Vice had a really lovely article about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Goodbye to Netflix DVDs, the last good tech company. And there is a line he wrote in this piece that I'm really going to be thinking about for a long time. He says, quote, the demise of Netflix DVDs is about more than the loss of a great way to watch movies. It's about the passing of an era where the great big tech companies of the day thought the internet was a way to improve the offline life rather than to replace it. Mm -hmm. That was really interesting to me. The idea that like, remember when what tech did was, hey, your offline life, hey, tech can make it better as opposed to we want you to spend literally all your time in the online world, which is Mm -hmm. what it is now. TikTok, Meta, everyone, they want you to spend as much time as possible on those platforms. But Netflix is like, hey, you don't need to. You virtually need to spend no time on this platform. Just once a week, just check well, in and you couldn't. Your, there was nothing to do, right? Like streaming video couldn't exist until broadband hit like a, right. a tipping point of houses, and that was like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when Netflix instant debuted. And yeah, for for that early time, late nineties, early two thousands, most people had shit internet access, and it was easier to mail somebody a DVD than just tell them you know go stream it on your computer or something. So. It's just, yeah. you know, but, but the, it, service it was a weird time. Was, yeah. the service itself was something you used for maybe yeah. 10 minutes a week. You it used was, and then you got a thing you, and you, you go, enjoyed you go, your let life. Just, let me just describe yeah. it to Okay. So yeah. it's like you go in and you have a queue of the movies that you want to see. Right. And the different DVDs have different demand levels. So if you want to rent like the Matrix or whatever, it's going to be like, oh, available in three weeks or what, you know, available in six weeks. Or, and then you need to move that around if you want to have like another movie you know, higher up on the queue. So you basically go and rearrange your queue and then literally just sit by the mailbox and wait for the DVDs to arrive. That's what it was before streaming, right? And uh, you you had very little reason to use the service very much. Now, of course, people are on Netflix every day and, and this is the future. So 
I mean, it's called Netflix, right? Like, yes. I feel like when they've talked about the idea of streaming, like, that was always kind of what they wanted to do, but the tech just wasn't there. And it took a lot of stuff. It took the rise of, like, I think it was, like, was it Flash Video early on that made it easy to stream that video out? Um, it took a lot of new technology to, like, make streaming video a possibility. But I, man, I miss these discs. I remember my last, uh, the last thing I rented from Netflix was probably a copy of Samsara. Or Koyana Scotsi mm, that yeah. sat on my coffee table for six months, you know, wow. before I sent it back. So, uh-huh. so that's how it was uh, towards the end. That was like 2009, I think, or 2010. Yeah, that's a good one. Though. You I remember love... yours? I I literally don't. I literally don't remember. Yeah, mm. I can't remember. That, that's sad. Get a copy of your queue. Maybe you can keep that. Yeah. Now, now I'm really sad about that. Now I'm really sad that I don't remember Devendra. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, lost like a disc in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> like tears in mm-hmm. rain. What my last DVD rental was. Uh, well, anyway, I, I'm gonna be be stronger than Devendra in my recommendation, which is. Um, buy as much physical media as you can because yeah. you don't Support know if your local institutions that have yeah. physical media. Yeah, and and you don't know if you're ever gonna lose access to the to the movies. You know, mm-hmm. if if, it, if it's a movie you're like, hey, I like this, or this movie speaks to me in some way, get the physical version of it because you don't know if you're not gonna be able to get it one day. So, anyway, that's some of the entertainment news that's been going on in the world. Divinder Hardwar, let's talk about some what we've been watching. All right, and uh, let's do this. Let's do this today. Let's take turns. So I'll go uh-huh. first, then I'll. We'll do you, and then we'll come back to me, okay? It's all good. You were apparently on a marathon, it seems like. Man. Well, for okay. it, let, me, let me say something that's amazing, <laughs> Devendra, okay? This week, for the first time in at least three years, there were five movies in theaters that I wanted to yeah, watch. Yeah, and long ones, too. Man. Uh, amazing. Amazing. It, it's, it, it felt amazing, Devendra, to, to, to be in a theater and say, there's... More than one thing here that I'm interested right. in watching. You could actually have a multi-viewing day, which I used to do in New York all the time. Yeah, amazing. And, and I'll, I'll just say what those movies were for those who are curious. But they they were uh, Evil Dead Rise, Bo is Afraid, The Covenant, um, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, and that new uh, anime Suzume. Those are the five movies I wanted to watch. I was able to watch three of those this week. Two of which. Uh, we are going to, uh, or I'm sorry, one of which is our main review, and the other the two, two of which I'm going to discuss during this section right now. So, uh, the first movie I want to talk about is Ari Aster's new movie, Bo is Afraid. What have you heard about this movie, Devendra? I mean, I, I've seen the trailers. I have also heard people like I've heard the the main taglines from some of the reviews. So I, I hear it's like quite a quite a journey into one man's mommy complexes, and I cannot wait to see it because I love Ari Aster. I almost recommended this movie for, I mean, I almost like pulled for this movie for uh-huh. main review. It's just like we ran out of time. Like we only have four weeks a month. And again, yeah, as yeah. I just mentioned, there's like a ton of movies out in theaters right now that are actually good. Um, I saw Bo's Afraid this week. May- maybe we'll do an after dark about it. I-, I don't know if I can convince Jeff Canada to watch this one. Um, I would, I would love but, to because Ari Aster is interesting enough that I think we should yeah, devote that time. Uh, I love this movie. I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, I, I think the best way I can describe it is it's like you're living in somebody else's nightmare for three hours. Um, we've all had nightmares. We all know how mm-hmm, nightmares go. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything feels real in the nightmare, but everything is super, super heightened and bizarre and upsetting. And that's what it's like to be in the movie Bo is Afraid for, th- for three hours is you're watching someone's nightmare. The plot it barely exists. It's basically Bo is trying to get home to his mom 
uh, character played by Joaquin Phoenix. That's the plot of the movie. And it, it's just incredibly creative, incredibly upsetting, uh, discomforting. And, you know, it, it's really hard to talk about without referring to specific sections of the movie. The movie's divided up into like four, five, six chapters. And each one kind of, there's no like chapter titles or anything, but each one kind of has its own look and feel and, and subplot going on. Uh, but I was completely blown away by this movie. I'm going to be thinking about it for a while. I think people nice. will be analyzing it for years. At the same time, I don't know that I can recommend this movie to anyone. <laughs> this this seems like a synecdoche New York situation, oh, to be honest. Heavily, yeah. a lot of a bunch of scenes seem heavily inspired by synecdoche, yeah. to be yeah. honest with you. It's, it's very much like Charlie Kaufman's synecdoche in New York in the sense that uh, it does not have most of the things that you want from a normal movie, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, character development, a plot, three-act structure, like all those traditional things. Traditional narrative, you, yeah. Yeah, traditional yeah. narrative, all those things that you expect, it generally doesn't really have. It has, in, in place of them, a lot of really cool, interesting ideas, some great visuals, and an awesome performance by all the actors, including Joaquin Phoenix. So I love this movie, but I have seen from people who I really admire um, say that they hate this movie. It's some people have called it a career killer uh, <laughs> yeah. for Ari Aster for people at a 24. I mean, I do think it was probably a huge miscalculation to spend $35 million making this movie. Like I c- couldn't imagine a world where it makes that much money back in theaters, but a 24 have shown they know what they're doing. So, you know, mm-hmm. what, whatever. Yeah. I, um, people are pointing this out on Twitter. Not every movie is made to get its money back, right. you know, in, in profit. And, like, and, they are and Ari Aster has generated a lot of money for yes. a 24. You know, yes. uh, Hereditary was until recently one of the best performing uh, A24 movies of all time. So it's, it, you know, this is maybe the one for him that they decided to help him make. Um, but yeah, it, it, without saying more about it and specific scenes, it's really hard to talk about the movie. I will just say I loved it. I thought it was a masterpiece. I don't think I can recommend you watch it because I don't know if you want to experience someone's anxiety for three hours um, and have it kind of have this kind of listless experience where you're yeah. just kind of in this guy's head and neuroses. For I'm that totally, I'm totally down for this though. Like I like the Ariaster vibe. Um, is it, is it just, you know, sort of like anxiety terror or is it, does it lean into horror the way like he actually has been doing? I would say there's a handful of horror elements to it. Hmm. I wouldn't, I would not say it is primarily a horror film. Okay. Um, but there's a handful of horror, horror elements that remind me, oh yeah, this guy is pretty solid at directing horror set pieces. You know, that, that that's kind of uh, mm-hmm. how I describe the experience. But it's weird. It's the weirdest movie I've seen this year. There's not going to be anything else like it. Um, I loved it. Yeah, that's that's what I have to say. So, Devendra, nice. I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about it. So, Bo is Afraid. It's out in theaters right now. It's one of the things I've been watching this week. Devendra, hit us with something you've been watching. Sure. I want to talk about Mrs. Davis, the new show co-created by Damon Lindelof and Tara Hernandez. And uh, have you heard anything about the show, Dave? Yes, I've heard it's extremely weird and also it's worth ex- watching. Extremely weird. Um, maybe a good like counterpart to Bill is Afraid for you, too. Yeah, but it is yeah. like the pitch line is a nun takes on an AI that has sort of taken on the like taken over the world. Mm-hmm. Not in like a malevolent way, but that AI like basically has a ton of users and it can like uh, command humans on demand. It seems um, this is a wild show. And I reviewed it over at Engadget. Um, I also got to talk with Damon Lindelof and Tara Hernandez, like briefly, really briefly, like eight minutes of, of brief talking time. Um, but we had a good chat too. So a lot of that information is in my review. Uh, I really enjoy the show. 
It's also one of the dumbest things I've seen in a very long time. <laughs> so it is the way I phrase it is like this is a deeply silly show, deeply committed to its silliness. And you can kind of feel Damon Lindelof just he he did not show run this whole thing like Tara Hernandez did that. And she comes from uh, Big Bang Theory and uh, Young Sheldon like she comes from the sitcom background. I can almost envision Damon Lindelof just like sitting on the lawn chair. Just be like, like, you do the hard work. We're just going to have fun and be a little crazy in the show. And, uh, you know, this nun is looking for the Holy Grail. This nun is being besieged by people who are trying to kidnap her. There are a bunch of like um, very stereotypical like German gangster dudes who are straight up just descendants of the nihilists from Lebowski. Nice. Like there's a lot of like early Cohen energy going on here. So it's a little cartoony. Not everything makes sense. Motivations don't always make sense. There are twists all over the place, but I think it's a lot of fun. And it's the sort of thing we don't typically see on peak TV too often. You know, I feel like Lindelof has made the leftovers recently. He made Watchmen, uh, both incredible shows that sort of like, you know, transcend their genres in many ways. And Leftovers in particular is like a really like tough watch. It's about dealing with grief and uh, the potential end of humanity. Um, I get the sense he just wanted to have fun. And this is Damon Lindelof having fun. And uh, I think it shows a lot of fun. That's basically it. Like Betty Gilpin's uh, stars as the as the main nun, uh, Simone. And the image of a nun in her full habit, you know, on a on a horse, on a mic, on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. Like, it's just this really wild imagery that you get from the show. And it's just a fun time. It's a really fun watch. Um, it is straight up, like, cartoonish in, like, an almost Roadrunner-esque way at times, too. Like, characters pop up from nowhere. There, there, There's a gang of dudes who are, like, an anti-AI militia. And they look like they're from SNL or something. Um, they are led by uh, a, a, a character played by Chris Diamantopoulos. And he, you may remember him from Silicon Valley. He was uh, he was one of the VCs from Silicon Valley, the guy who like doors that go up, not not open side to side. And he is full on like in every scene, he's just shirtless and hamming it up 100 uh, percent. There is a running gag of whenever somebody has to talk to when they have to talk to each other, they uh, break a burner phone in half because they don't want the AI to track them. It's just really silly. Really fun, though, and I think it's worth a watch. It's on Peacock right now. I don't know if everybody will like this, but I do think it's worth watching the first few episodes because, like Bo's Afraid, there's nothing on TV like this right now. All right, that's Mrs. Davis. It's streaming right now on Peacock, and I am looking forward to checking it out because I've heard a lot of interesting things about it. Yeah. I will talk about something else I watched this week, which is the new Guy Ritchie movie, The Covenant. Which, by the way... You mean Guy I, Ritchie's The Covenant. That's right. I got to the theater, and the opening credits begin, and then it shows the title, and the title says Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Because there is another movie called The Covenant, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I support Guy Ritchie branding his name on his movies <laughs> like this, you know? Like, very few... I don't think it's Martin Scorsese's Silence, you know? He, he doesn't want to be confused with the 2006 Rennie Harlan movie, The Covenant. I don't... You're being very charitable <laughs> about why Guy Ritchie put uh-huh, his name on uh-huh. The Covenant. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the trailer for The Covenant? I have, I have. It okay, seemed so, intriguing. I'm down with this in Sam Raimi. Yeah. So, uh, Sam Raimi? What, Not what? Sam Raimi, uh, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie, yeah. Um, so, let me say this. I am going to give away details from the trailer of The Covenant. Now, here, here having said that, the trailer <laughs> gives away the first two-thirds of the movie. It's the entire okay? movie, it seems like. It's like yeah. two-thirds of the movie is given away in the trailer. Okay? 
So, uh, but I will give away kind of some of the premises, like premises of the covenant. I will try to be very careful to preserve your experience. Um, but the covenant I would describe as a movie of contradictions because on the one hand, Devendra, this is a really well-made movie. Like mm-hmm. this is a really bracing, riveting adventure movie, basically okay. a, a adventure war movie, right? That's about the relationship that these two men have. Uh, this guy, Jake, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays this guy named John Kinley, and he has a translator uh, named Ahmed, who play, who's played by Dar Salim, who, by the way, is freaking incredible in this movie. This like, I always star, love him when he pops up and stuff. Star-making yeah. turn in this movie. Like, he's mm-hmm. awesome in this movie. Um, and the movie is essentially about the relationship between these two characters and uh, a covenant uh, that is kind of made and, and potentially, you know, needs to be met uh, between these two characters. And uh, on the one hand, it's just a really awesome viewing experience. If you like a good war movie, uh, if you like a good adventure, uh, this movie is very, very competently made. I love the score. The action sequences are really well done. Uh, the acting is awesome. You know, love the actors in it. Everything about the movie is just like, if you're going to a movie looking for like a, a really solid, well-told story, The Covenant will deliver that to you. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, it is American military propaganda, in my opinion. You know, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, 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 like, dozens and dozens of brown guys are mowed down in the course of this movie. Um, it, that's about a special brown guy who saves the white guy, and that's why he's important. Mm-hmm, so, that's that's yeah. absolutely correct. And, and I mean, it's about, like, it, it's about the... Uh, America's occupation of Afghanistan, right? And uh, the war in Afghanistan and how um, I think it takes place in 2018. So this is like decades after 9-11 and how Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. America was still there after all these years and still trying to get, uh, still trying to do good. And um, in general, America being in Afghanistan fighting the bad guys is never a narrative that is questioned during the course of the movie. Right, right. right? Like it's never a question of, oh, America is doing good in Afghanistan. It's never a question of, oh, the the Taliban are bad guys and they should be killed. Like, that's never a question. I'm not saying those things aren't true to some degree. I just think it's a little bit more complicated than the the picture the movie presents, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it is war propaganda. So that's that's the other thing. And and for that reason, uh, I'm not a huge fan. But... On the flip side, this guy Richie, and you're like, no, 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 no. but yeah, but the message of the movie is actually a good one that people Mm. should take in, right? Um, You find out in the first thirty seconds of the movie, right? In the first thirty seconds of the movie, uh, that thousands of people from Afghanistan served as interpreters and drivers and helped out American troops, right? And uh, again, trying to avoid spoilers for real life but the United States has not treated them very well. Yeah, we've abandoned many of them. Yeah. Uh, and so this movie is about that. It's it's bringing attention to that disgrace. And so it, it is, I think, paradoxical in the sense that it is in some ways a pro-military movie, but it is a, in other ways an anti-US government movie. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, mm-hmm. uh, And so I do think it's it's just weird. It leaves you the weird feeling. It has all these contradictions in it, but at the end of the day, it, it you know like it's a really enjoyable film in my opinion. It's like like I had a great time watching. I was just on the edge of my seat. I thought all these actors are amazing. So I think the message is a little bit bottled, but 
it's it's just like yeah. I, I watched this movie after Evil Dead Rise, and I I thought both of them were were great. I enjoy both movies. So I, anyway. you know, even when Guy Ritchie makes a movie that is that is not so great, um, it, he's usually still like good to watch or fun to watch. Like the dude is such a craftsman. Even though I think like he is kind of an idiot sometimes. Like I still like his <laughs> movies. I saw the trailer for this and I was like, well, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, this is interesting, and I like Dar Salim. Um, it's just really, it's really yeah. well done, man. Like the, yeah. you know, like at the end of the day, despite my 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 qualms about the depiction of the American military, I'm like, yeah, it's it's a really well done movie. You know, it's really just it, it delivers on what you're looking for when you go to see a movie. So it's, uh, I, yeah. I am wary of movies like the the whole setup for this seemed like it almost seemed like a way for. Um, maybe white audiences to feel good about this one, you know, heroic act that's being done in this movie. I just hope like, I don't know. I hope people are aware of like the, the injustices that yeah, have happened I, I do against, think that yeah, that is very explicitly the purpose of the movie mm-hmm. is to bring awareness. To it. And so for that reason, I feel like yeah. despite my qualms, I enjoyed the movie. It has a good message. I think I got to recommend you watch it. You yeah, know, I got okay. I cannot wait to check this out. It's also the basic setup of it is that, you know, the interpreter saves Jake Gyllenhaal's character, and then yeah, Jake yeah well, let's uh, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. let's uh, that's know. in the trailer. That's that's yeah, yeah, the I know, movie. I know, I know, but yeah. I'm I'm still trying to like avoid. I, I think like yeah. that. I want to say the setup of this feels like an old school western. Mm, yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. In a good way and a not so good way. Like in in the ways of like, oh, I have this one native friend, and he is not like the other savages. Right, I like exactly. him very much, and he's exactly. captured, that, and I have to go save him. So I agree yeah. completely that yeah, it does raise those kind of tropes up, you know, in a way that makes me feel uncomfortable, right? Because because I don't think it's enough to be like, hey, yeah, there's a bunch of these, sa-, like literally the word um, yeah, animals yeah, yeah. used to describe yeah. them, I think at, at one point. And it's like, it's not enough to have like a bunch of these brown people be like called animals and they're depicted as like cold blooded killers. But there's this mm-hmm. one good guy, you know, like it's like, mm, not sure. Yeah. Again, like you said, it kind of raises the specter of some of these old older westerns that that traffic in those this tropes, is uh, the know? the the paradox sometimes of guy Ritchie is that man sometimes the stuff you make i remember the gentleman i had a lot of fun watching that and a lot of that movie's abhorrent and uh, but you make it so good yeah i still it's still like, like it. a fairly Damn enjoyable it. time you know so yeah anyway that is the covenant and it is in theaters right now unfortunately it didn't do very well at the box office i do think this is a movie that is worth seeing in theaters. Like this is a movie that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. will take advantage of the theatrical experience. And uh, there's too much. Like I, I want to see Susan May in theaters. I want to yeah, see Bose Afraid in theaters. It's, 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 but Devendra, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. For the first time in years, we have this. You know, this it's, is why I'm thinking this beautiful. summer is going to be pretty hot too. Like there's a lot of good stuff coming and there's an appetite for it too. I love it. I love it. I'm mm-hmm. so glad that there's like all these movies out in theaters that are good now. But The Covenant, uh, another one I would recommend. This one, by, by the way, I think is way more down the middle than Bo's Afraid. Like Bo's Afraid, <laughs> amazing movie. I, I don't recommend it to really anyone I know. Uh, the Covenant, I think virtually anyone I know would watch this and probably mm-hmm, mm-hmm. enjoy at least some of it. So It's your chaser, your mainstream chaser after Bo's Afraid. Indeed, indeed. Let's take a break. We'll come back with some more of what we've been watching right after this. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Fast Growing Trees. Breathe some life into your own backyard with FastGrowingTrees.com this spring. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy and natural beauty, let FastGrowingTrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. Let me tell you about my experience with Fast Growing Trees because it's been awesome. We just got these. Spring is starting. My wife got really excited. We went to fastgrowingtrees.com, ordered a couple of trees. My daughter has now named those trees. They are Mr. Fluffy Paws and Lala. So, you know, whenever you guys come to my house, 
refer to my trees as Mr. Fluffy Paws and Lala. And and the kids have had a blast helping mom keep the trees alive, watering them uh, every so often and caring for them. They got to see them arrive in the box from fastgrowingtrees.com. And I got to tell you, neither my wife nor myself are particularly good at keeping things alive. I mean, my kids, we're, we're doing a go kid job there. But when it comes to green things, not so great. But that's no problem because fastgrowingtrees.com has a customized recommendation for you based on your specific needs. And their plant experts are always available to help keep your plants growing healthy throughout the season and beyond. We have made use of that. My wife called the number and was like, I don't know what's happening. This tree is shedding. It's shedding. And the expert was like, yeah, no, that's normal. That's supposed to happen. It was amazing. You don't have to wait in long lines anymore or haul heavy plants around. Fastgrowingtrees.com lets you order online. And then your plants arrive at your door in just a few days, delighting your children, prompting them to name them. It's, uh, it's amazing. And with Fast Growing Trees, they have a 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, so you know that everything will look great fresh out of the box. Join over 1.5 million happy Fast Growing Trees customers and Lala and Mr. Fluffy Paws. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash filmcast now to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash filmcast. All right, Devendra, what else have you been watching? Sure. Um, what do you what do you think of Carrie Russell, Dave? Big fan. Big fan. What do you think of Carrie Russell as a hyper competent uh, <laughs> diplomat on on whose shoulders like international you know uh, potential wars rest? You Sounds know, what do you, like what the do you perfect show to me. I will tell you that is basically my sexual preference. Like I, oh, I yeah. just sh- this show is called The Diplomat. Uh, this is Carrie Russell's new show on Netflix. And once I heard the pitch, I was like, "Oh, Carrie Russell, I, I would like to see more of her." We just saw her in Cocaine Bear. Um, she has Don't not forget done TV. Rise of Skywalker to be right. Yeah, <laughs> we barely saw her beautiful face. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, she has not done TV since The Americans ended, and I loved her in The Americans. So this is another sort of like there. There's political intrigue. There's, there's like thriller elements to the show. She plays uh, a career diplomat who is sent to London to be the you know the UK uh, diplomat after a was it a British boat is uh, there is a bomb that goes off. It's destroyed. A lot of people die. It's a huge incident, and you know this diplomat is going over there to kind of stop a potential war, like stop the Brits from allying with America to attack Iran. If we don't know if Iran did this or not, like that, that is the main thrust of it. Carrie Russell is just kind of thrust into it. Um, you know, she's planning to go somewhere else. She wanted to go do more um, serious work in the middle East. And she, this role is, is both, it is a serious thing, but it's also something that involves a lot of ceremony. It's, um, you know, diplomats in America, those roles often go to political donors. You know, people who give a candidate a lot of money end up in a really nice, cushy position somewhere where they just have to, you know, show up and, uh, you know, show for America and go to a lot of parties. That's basically it. This show, I think Carrie Russell is just doing tremendous work because this is a show created by Deborah Khan, who used to work on the West Wing. Um, she's also worked on Grey's Anatomy. I heard there's and some real West Wing vibes in the show. Like there are real like West, Wing kind of West Wing vibes on yeah. the show. So it is very much very, very competent characters who are dealing with like huge stakes in their work. And they are just all very good at their jobs. And I find that 
endlessly entertaining, especially when it's somebody like Carrie Russell, who I've loved since Felicity. Um, when somebody like her in the role, like she knows what she's doing. She has, she's very intelligent. Like she's going in there in meetings with the prime minister and like kind of holding her own. I just enjoy watching that. The series is very well written. And there are a lot of like really interesting relationships going on here too. Uh, Rufus Sewell, who I also love and always love seeing him on screen. He plays her sort of uh, her estranged husband. It's a husband that she loves and they're, you know, they're close, but apart in the first few episodes. And they have a really interesting relationship because she is both kind of annoyed by this guy who's kind of a rogue diplomat. He has his own way of doing things and it's not, not always by the book and it's Rufus Sewell. And I think this guy always has a bit of a, kind of a wink in his eye like he, he is somebody who's always a little mischievous in all of his roles even when he's playing a bad guy and he's just having a lot of fun here i really like their relationship because they're both just like professionals uh, they don't have kids like they the, their job is basically the thing that is kind of keeping them together to a certain degree and their relationship is really interesting like she both despises him at times and they're also close enough that you know she'll ask him to lean into her pits and just be like am i good for this meeting am i do i smell fresh you know, um, that is the sort of thing we don't typically see on TV very much. So I think that's good. Um, and when Carrie Russell's character goes to the UK, she meets a whole bunch of new people. And I, I think all the side characters are good. I think the overall plotting is very good. Uh, Rory Kinnear plays the prime minister as well. And he is somebody who is basically has this awful thing happen to their to their country. And like he his choice is do we think about this methodically or do we push for war because everybody's angry? And if we go to war with Iran, then, you know, people will, people will be down for that. Like that would also get him more support. So there's a lot of great political intrigue here. Um, one thing I'll mention, which is kind of um, also mentioned in reviews too, like the, the role they put her in the role, she is asked by the president to do this diplomatic role. Um, they are, there are ulterior motives for why they want her there as well. And that is like a long running plot line. Uh, for a character who may end up in a in a high level position that she didn't really expect either. So anyway, if you like The West Wing, if you like honestly, if you like Homeland, because I believe uh, Deborah Khan also worked on Homeland a bit too. There's like a mixture of a whole bunch of things. There is a mixture of like Grey's Anatomy uh, relationships in there too, which is not necessarily a bad thing. The first few seasons of that show were really good. Um, I think the show is a really fun and compelling mixture of all of those elements. And for Carrie Russell fans in particular. I think you'll have a lot of fun. And Dave, I think this is um, this is catnip for you. You will right. barrel through this series immediately. I'll yeah. check it out. Eight episodes of The Diplomat are now streaming on Netflix. Have Wish you I watched... had a better title, but yeah. Have you watched the whole thing already? I'm about halfway through. Okay. And if I if I had the time, I would just sit down and watch everything because <laughs> it, it it also does the thing where it's like every the end of every episode there is a good hook to keep mm, you going. Love yeah. it. Love it. Love you. Love to see some good episodic television. Yes. You know? Uh, okay, I watched a documentary on Netflix called American Manhunt, the Boston Marathon Bombers. Uh, and I've been having some really mixed luck with mm -hmm. Netflix documentaries recently. I saw that uh, uh, the Malaysian flight MH370 or whatever it was, uh, that was, I think, not only bad, but actively irresponsible and bad for society as a documentary. Like, would not recommend that at all. American Manhunt, the Boston Bombers, overall, this was a really solid documentary, man. This was really good. Um, I didn't follow the Boston Marathon story closely mm -hmm. at the time, even though I was from Boston. Yeah. Uh, it was just really upsetting. Uh, but 
Uh, and, and if you followed it closely, I don't know that this will reveal that much new to you, although it does interview many of the people who were there, first responders, police, uh, law enforcement, victims, and so on and so forth. Like, it, it does have a really good interview uh, set of interviewees. But overall, this is actually like a really riveting um, documentary. It's like a three-part docuseries. Each, each part is about an hour long. I call it a documentary because it's basically like a two-hour, 50-minute long documentary, you know? And... It's really riveting, man. It is mm-hmm. uh, like I, I, you know, not being familiar with all the decisions they made. I was just really uh, the way they put it together, how they figured out who did the bombings was really impressive. Um, you can imagine Devendra; they, they didn't know who, who it was at first, and so they had to like yeah, use all yeah. this surveillance footage to try to figure out like who it was that placed the bomb right there, and uh, and then try to track them down. One of the most interesting decisions that the documentary raises is at one point they were able to identify who these bombers were. They're like, they knew who they were by face and name. Right. And the question is, what do you do at that point? Um, because they couldn't find them. They couldn't find the people. Right. But right. they knew who they were. And so there was a big debate over whether or not they would actually release their names and images to the public. And the FBI was saying, we don't like to do that because the FBI likes to control the situation. You know, it's like if you release their names and info to the public, like you might cause them to act in a way that they wouldn't have acted otherwise. You know, like you might provoke them or you might cause them to flee uh, as compared to if they didn't know uh, that you had their information. Right. On the flip side, the head Mm -hmm. of Boston police was like, if we release their names and images, we're going to have these guys in custody in like five hours. You know, like that's, that was his belief was like within hours people will know these people and they will turn them in or they'll give us tips and, and it's all going to be over soon. Does this docuseries cover like what it should show it was for the cops? Absolutely. Basically? Absolutely. Okay. And it, it, I will say it is much more measured mm. about law enforcement than I expected it to be. But some people will criticize that it basically um, the cops did some really dumb things yes. during the course of this. And I think the documentary does a okay job of pointing that out. Um, and as opposed to like most documentaries or, you know, m- most news reports certainly are very much like pro police or on police's side. Um, that's not the case here. Mm-hmm. They, they do, even though the police are interviewed, um, there are people in the documentary that kind of balance it out and point out that, Hey, actually some terrible things also happened. Um, yeah. that there, there was a massive shootout that probably didn't need to happen. Yeah, yeah. Exa- absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I, I thought this was really engrossing, really well done. And if you don't really know that much about the story, I think you'll learn a lot through this documentary, American Manhunt, the Boston Marathon Bombers, which is streaming right now on Netflix. One last thing I'll just mention, which is I don't like it when movies, documentaries use like filmmaking gimmicks, you know, like little little filmmaking gimmicks. Uh-huh. I'll give you an example. Um, in this movie, they do reenactments, right? Which is fine. That's completely fine to do reenactments. But um, the the reenactments have the bombers in them, and they'll use like static to like blur out their faces, like mm. in a very like David Cronenbergian kind of static on the face effect kind of thing. And that's just annoying, you know. It's just like this is this is a serious this is a serious topic, you know. You don't need to like yeah. jazz it up with all these weird After Effects plugins, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, were they doing that just so they don't like? basically give them more of a celebrity i guess by showing yeah, that footage. maybe maybe but yeah. it's just it's it just 
Um, sometimes it's just, you know, there, there's people, the documentaries that use like rapid editing to like, right, right. you know, or here's footage from, you know, uh, 9-11 to show you that we we're back in the early 2000s. It's just like, I think there's, there's a little bit too heavily uh, uh, reliance on gimmicks and some mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. filmmaking gimmicks in modern documentary filmmaking. But overall would recommend, again, American Manhunt, the Boston Marathon Bombers streaming on Netflix. Devendra, hit us up with your last thing you've been watching. Last thing I want to quickly talk about is Barry. Barry's back for its final season. And I've only seen the first uh, two episodes so far, but uh, it is clearly leaning more into the the more serious and like a side of Barry. So there is like less of the fun times Barry that we had early on in the show. But man, is it doing a good job of just like reckoning with the situation because I, I don't know, I'm not going to say what happens at the end of the last season of Barry, but let's just say Barry finds himself in a predicament. And I don't know how he's going to get out of that. And I think the season is making really good use of where he is and how he's reckoning with everything he's done. Um, we still get to see like what is going on with the side characters as well, especially um, Noho Hank and his friend. I find like, I guess that is where a lot of the levity is coming from, but this is the final season. So it does feel like we're kind of, um, we're dealing with the aftermath of a lot of the bad decisions that characters made throughout this, uh, this series. And for many of them, it's not good. It's hard to have a fun time with that. So I've seen some reviews saying like they don't like like the the angle this season is taking. But I don't know. I feel like if you if you have to wrap up the story, you kind of have to be real about it. And the filmmaking continues to be incredible. Um, the first ep- episode in particular, which was written directed by Bill Hader, um, like both balances, um, you know, really funny situations, but also does a really creative directorial work we saw from the last season of Barry. Um, there were rumors that he's going to be working on a horror movie next. And I just, I cannot wait because I think we've seen like when a great comedian and a great artist, like decides to dive into that genre, good things can happen. So hoping that ends up happening for Bill Hader, but yeah, Barry continues to be good. And yeah, I I wish everybody was watching it more. Yeah. Barry on HBO final season, uh, wrapping up right now. Uh, I've also watched the first two episodes, and I think they're they're great. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, uh, the first three episodes actually. So, um, but I wanted to talk briefly about uh, one other thing I've been watching, which is I had a chance to watch Nicholas Rogue's movie "Don't Look Now." Oh, nice! Yeah, great. Donald Sutherland, you seen this movie? I have seen this. I saw it a couple of years ago when I tried to do Criterion Channel, you know, stuff before things left the service. But yeah, what did you think? Uh, Pretty cool movie. I have a I have a Criterion Blu-ray of this. My mm-hmm. first time watching it. You know, just blind bought the Blu-ray, and uh, it has a lot of really cool aspects about it. You know, uh, I it's kind of a movie where you you understand why and how it's inspired so many other movies. Like mm-hmm. the the influence of Don't Look Now is vast. Um, Steven Spielberg uh, heavily influenced by it. You know, all the way down to like the Blair Witch Project, like many visuals and elements from this movie have inspired other movies. And then you kind of go back and you see the original thing, right. That inspired all of them. And it's like, um, I think it does some really cool stuff. There's some really memorable parts Mm -hmm. of the movie, uh, that I, that I appreciate. I don't know that it's a movie I'm going to revisit, you know, it's like deeply upsetting. You, you watch it once and it just like settles in your brain. It's like, well, I'm glad I watched that once. Yeah. Basically this couple who's played by Sharon Williams and Donald Sutherland, um, Sorry, uh, sorry. This couple, I should say, played mm-hmm. by Donald Sutherland and uh, Julie Christie. Mm-hmm. Sharon Williams plays the daughter who dies. In yes. The so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Donald Sutherland and, and Julie Christie, their daughter dies, and they head to Venice 
where they're trying to like get their mind off things and, and Donald Sutherland's character needs to restore a church. But then they start experiencing some very bizarre supernatural-like phenomenon. And it's a really creepy movie. There's some really creepy, mm-hmm. memorable visuals. One of my favorite things about this movie is there's a whole section of this movie where Donald Sutherland's character thinks that his wife is missing. Right. right. And I'm not going to reveal how that's resolved in the movie, but it just, the way in which uh, that plays out and the way in which it's resolved is just really uh, upsetting. It's really, it's just, it's, it's rare to see it play out like that in a movie. It's rare to see a movie play with narrative and perspective in that way. And there's just a lot of like really memorable visuals, a lot of really memorable moments in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's a very long extended sex sequence too, which seems, I don't, would we even see that in the yeah, movie yeah, today? It's rare like, to see sex scenes in movies these days. There you know? Again, I, I keep seeing people bringing up these messages from really young, uh, I don't know, film viewers and film critics being like, I don't know, is it ethical to even have sex in the movie? Like, does it serve any narrative purpose? Like, right. Guys, there, there are ways to handle it. And I think it, if done well, like that scene, it is both intense and very kind of graphic, surprisingly graphic, like for the time, but also isn't like exploration of two people also experiencing grief together and trying to, trying to, you know, keep themselves connected and together somehow. It serves well, a poetic I, purpose. I, too. I, I, I yeah. like how that sex sequence you're des- describing intercuts with them. Yeah. Getting dressed and kind yeah. of being, you know, going out into the world and you kind of see, human beings have many different sides, many of which you don't see. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I like how the editing of that scene brings that out. Um, and as for sex scenes in movies, I don't feel that strongly about it. I think that the most convincing argument I've heard in favor is that movies should be about capturing the entirety of the human experience of which sex is a major part. It. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, so also yeah. the, the whole way with the, do- with how the daughter dies in this movie is very sad to me and is something I, I will never forget. You know, I think any, any, it's like the worst thing happening that any parent can imagine, but it is so, it is so quick and easy and sad. And I think that is the sort of like horror that I always have in my mind too. This movie does like get to a big reveal at the end. And honestly, that didn't never really work for me. It's everything else in this movie that clicks so well. Mm, I, I really like the ending. I thought the ending mm-hmm. was solid, but yeah, the movie has inspired, uh, uh, movies like out of sight by, by Steven Soderbergh, Schindler's List, Steven Spielberg, Memento by Christopher Nolan, um, and also uh, David Cronenberg. So it's it's a really kind of seminal movie that's uh, important to film history. I would recommend it. The Criterion Blu-ray looks great. Um, but yeah, it's also a movie where I'm not sure if I'm going to need to see this more than once. You know, it's uh, it's upsetting. It's it makes you feel uncomfortable, and that's what it's trying to do. So that's Don't Look Now. It's in the Criterion Collection. I got a Blu-ray of it. I'm practicing what I preach when it comes to the physical media. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that is what we've been watching. Let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, the part of the show where we plug something else we have been watching or creating, I should say, something else we've been creating. Uh, I have a free newsletter. It's free to anyone who is interested. You can subscribe to it at decodingeverything.com. This week, I wrote about the blue check fiasco of Twitter de-verifying everyone, then re-verifying a bunch of them, including people who are dead. It has been really upsetting and yeah. obscene to this watch. This guy seems not, not good at business, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> 
Perhaps, perhaps. perhaps. Check, check it out at decodingeverything.com, uh, which is where I'm posting basically all of my stuff uh, instead of Twitter these days. Devinder Hardwar, uh, tell us about your weekly plug. Sure. I want to talk about the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. We talked about some rumors around the Pixel Fold, which could be Google's new foldable phone coming at I.O. Uh, I think next week or in a couple of weeks, very soon. Um, and we also compared the Razer Blade 16 to the 18, which are these new gaming laptops. And, you know, Razer's getting bigger than ever. It's a really fun episode. Sam Rutherford joins us to talk about those things. So join us. It's a great time if you like tech. All right. Check that out at the Engadget podcast. And uh, a big plug for patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can get ad-free episodes and exclusive After Dark episodes. Huge thanks to everyone there who makes this podcast possible. Uh, of course, we never want anyone to support us. If it in any way causes you financial hardship, you can always support us by leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts or a star rating. It just takes a few seconds. Or if you don't want to do any of that, share about us on social media. Or if you don't want to do any of that, then you are actually hurting the podcast because you're kind of just being a freeloader and all the other work that everyone else is doing. No, I'm just joking. Seriously, though, just listening is great, but we appreciate anyone that supports us in any way. So thank you so much for our patrons, for everyone who shares about us, for everyone who reviews us. It really does make a huge difference. Okay, let's get to our review of Evil Dead Rise. All you can do is run. Welcome to the Filmcast's review of Evil Dead Rise. Joining us today for our review, Max Ivry is a freelance writer who has done audio commentaries for Blu-rays from companies like Arrow, Kino Lorber, and Imprint. In May, you'll be able to hear him on the Blu-ray commentary for Michael Mann's Black Hat. And in August, he'll be releasing a book called A Masterpiece in Disarray, David Lynch's Dune, and Oral History, now available for pre-order. Max Avery, welcome back to the Filmcast. Thank you, guys. How are you, Dune? Oh, wow. Off to, a, <laughs> off to an amazing start. start there, Max. Yeah. Off to an amazing start, Max. Yeah. Really... Well, it's, the, the, uh, that, book, that book is taken forever. I'm so happy it's coming out. And, um, I, you know, like, I talked to David Lynch. I talked to Kyle MacLachlan. It's going to be just a ball for that sounds wild for fans yeah. yeah um there is actually funnily enough a connection between the evil dead franchise and david lynch's dune mm-hmm. um right. in uh, evil dead 2 if you remember the scene at the end where ash falls from the sky and he's with all the medieval people um there is a monk among the uh the, the crowd he's actually right next to sam raimi mm-hmm. dressed as a knight and the, the, this monk costume was actually taken from storage uh, from David Lynch's Dune, because <laughs> uh, De Laurentiis produced, uh, yeah. De Laurentiis produced the gift that movies. keeps on giving. That movie, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, De Laurentiis um, uh, knows how to save a dime. Amazing. Well, mm-hmm. we are here today to talk about Evil Dead Rise. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb: A twisted tale of two estranged sisters whose reunion is cut short by the rise of flesh-possessing demons, thrusting them into a primal battle for survival as they face the most nightmarish version of family imaginable. Now, Max, on the Filmcast and on the Filmcast After Dark in particular, patreon.com slash filmpodcast, we have been re-watching all the Evil Dead movies. Tell us a little bit about your relationship to these movies before we dive into your thoughts on Evil Dead Rise and whether it's a worthy successor. 
Sure. Well, it, it actually, it interested me because I've been listening a little bit to, to you guys and uh, I understand you'd never seen any of these movies, right, Dave? No, not, not to completion until very recently. Yeah. That's so, amazing. I'm yeah, so happy was, for you. It I'm was, so uh, <laughs> it was really delightful to, to revisit the, or visit them for the first time for me yeah. at patreon.com slash film podcast. Um, Taking them back to school, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Evil yeah. Dead well, what, What's remarkable about the movies is uh, if you compare like I, you know, Evil Dead one and two are very similar movies. But mm-hmm. uh, if you compare Evil Dead one and two versus Army of Darkness versus Evil Dead twenty thirteen, um, the tones I would say are pretty different between the three of them. Like the, each each of those movies is such a distinct tone, and it's rare to have a franchise uh, that has wildly divergent tones in each of the movies. You know? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I I, lo- I love the fact that. Uh... Um, in in each film of the original trilogies is basically a reboot. Uh, I mean, they, they literally they literally <laughs> yeah, remake yeah. they remake the previous film in the opening <laughs> few minutes of each movie. Yes, uh, potentially including this one, which we'll discuss in a bit. But <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's right. But, but anyway, uh, yeah. So y- you were a fan of these movies. It sounds like it sounds like this is an important part of your cinematic upbringing. Yeah, so I mean, I came to them, I guess, relatively late in the game in my twenties when I was in college. I mean, I know a lot of horror fans. You know, that these are these are like touchstone movies. These are like, you know, they're they're, they're in their veins. Yeah, everything like, pulled from these for the last from the eighties and nineties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're seminal films for sure. And um, yeah, I always felt a little guilty for the fact that I didn't discover them in, until later because they're definitely in my like wheelhouse like like my favorite directors are guys like terry gilliam jean-pierre Genet, you know like guys with a, with a real distinct like sort of visual stamp and uh, you know sam raimi is one of those guys and the fact that he was able to make three as you said wildly divergent um movies you know i i, I just i love that and um yeah uh i i can't say that I've been as big of a fan of these last two though. Mm, okay. Well, let's talk about evil dead rise, which I do think is the closest in, uh, aesthetics and feel and tone to Feta Alvarez's 2013 evil dead. Uh, right. I mean, do we all, I think we mm-hmm. all agree. Yes. With that. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So given that, uh, what did you think of evil dead rise, Max Avery? Uh, I'm going to get really unscientific. about this not what i wanted not Mm. what i wanted from this franchise wow i like i I like the goofiness like Mm -hmm. no one i know has ever said oh scariest movie i ever saw evil dead evil dead 2 army of darkness nobody's ever said that Mm -hmm. the archness and irony of those films uh is what i liked like the lure of the deadites is never meant to be taken seriously uh, even in the first movie, it's, it's over the top. It's tongue in cheek. They're generic evil bad guys. Like they're saying stuff like "I'll swallow your soul" and "Dead by Dawn," and you know, and it's like, and and in those movies, that's pitch perfect. But in the new one, like when the Deadites say that, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's fan service mm-hmm. that shows just how off the overall tone is by comparing it to the movies I actually like. You know, frankly, when they say those things. It, it starts to feel like a fan film, you know, like, you know, it, you know, it, it actually, it feels a little like a Cloverfield type thing where they found like an unrelated spec script right, and just right. grafted some evil dead crap onto it. Like hmm. it could have been like a kid finds a generic evil book 
you know, not the Necronomicon or an evil Fabergé egg that unleashes demons or an evil vacuum cleaner. Like the look and tone of it. owe much more to sort of the contemporary Bloomhouse yeah, conjuring right. style of horror than to Sam I can't Raimi. wait for the haunted Dyson movie. I feel like that's <laughs> don't don't let that slip, Max. Like, don't no, give us no, too no, much no. about that. That's your script. I'm I'm pitching it to uh, to Bloomhouse right now, but like that grim and serious tone, like like I, I saw that Lee Cronin, the director, like his jumping off points were Rosemary's Baby and Seven. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. just so fucking pedestrian. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I pitch scripts sometimes, wow. and my friends in the industry are always like, say it's blankety blank meets Seven. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. what if I think Seven is lame and played out? Like, why does everything have to look and feel? like a 30 year old movie by an MTV video director. No offense, David Fincher. I mean, Jeez, you're just, yeah, you're just, just dropping. Blows. Even body seven is catching strays right now. I'm just like, <laughs> I love I, seven. I I, I, mean, I, I was literally, yeah. I'm not joking. Literally. I was driving down my street yesterday and I was thinking, man, seven's a great movie. I, yeah. th- this Get, is getting some seven vibes from this. I'm a hundred percent serious uh, <laughs> about that thought. I, I really like that movie. So to hear you kind of, Say it's played. Out. Many people have attempted to imitate it poorly. I would yes. agree with you there. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. But... Like you know, like uh, what was it? Uh, like like Mama had that look. The Prodigy had that same. Mm. St- you know, everything's doused in shadows. Everything's grim and desaturated. Like, give me something fun and colorful. You know, like startling, imaginative. Like you can do that in a horror movie. Like the one I thought did it really great was uh, John dies at the end. Like that was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the tone I want. Like something willfully absurd. You know, for a movie that costs less than twenty million dollars, Evil Dead Rise feels like it's been spreadsheeted and algorithmed to death. You know, it's like there's no renegade spirit to this movie. Um, wow. I did enjoy. A f- I enjoyed a few things. <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, all right. So, so, but I, I mean, here's the thing, though. Um, is I do think that after. 2013's Evil Dead, which was the most financially successful Evil Dead film of all yeah. of them. To, to be clear, none of Raimi's Evil Dead movies actually made much money in theaters, right? <laughs> right. Like they, yeah. Right. Yeah. So after that movie, like I do feel like this movie, if you liked the 2013 one, you will appreciate what this movie is trying to bring. Would you at least concede that much, Max? Yeah, if I if I liked the 2013 yeah. one, I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Which it sounds like you 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 weren't a fan because yeah, and and no. you know our our colleague Jeff Canada, who's not here today, he had basically the exact same thoughts. Uh, you know, when we were discussing the remake, is is it is completely absent any of the fun and mm-hmm. whimsy of mm-hmm. those original movies, right? Um, yeah. So, are there before we move on to Devendra, who I'm very curious to hear his thoughts on, like. Are you just in general not a fan of this type of horror movie? So you don't like the Saw movies or Hostel or, you know, any of those kinds of movies? Or I, Well, I don't, no, I, I'm not a fan of the Saws or, or any of the torture porn stuff. And, like, gore is not, like, I'm not really, like, one of those guys with, like, the thousand-yard stare that's just like, oh, yeah, how many kids? Like, <laughs> how bloody you know, like, is I, it? It's yeah. not good, my that's Good not David my Chen thing. impression. Good David Chen yeah, impression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, like, I... Like I liked the change in venue. Like I thought that was kind of a step up from, you know, the 2013 one, which is just kind of a bankrupt, you know, remake of, you know, this is like a step backward. This is at least moving it forward, kind of baby steps. You know, like the dead deadites can be anywhere. I mean, their apartment they're in is enormous by New York City standards. Man, right, Devendra? 
It's uh, <laughs> so this is technically LA, even though everybody it's LA, yeah, it's, it is LA. Everybody sounds I... vaguely Australian or something too. So it's like, mm. oh yeah. yeah, oh my god, everybody sounds like they're from Australia. Yeah, yeah. I, I did yeah. notice. I was like, yes, these these people are theoretically low income, but their house is massive. Like every huge everyone apartment. has a, yeah. their own like room with all this space in it that they can configure in their own way. Yeah. So I, I yeah, dream like... about three bedroom apartments. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. So, I have well, a three bedroom apartment. It, it's. This is this was big. This is why Max will never leave Brooklyn. It's like I've been visiting Max's apartment since 2009, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. you have somehow landed the best one in Brooklyn. So, congrats. yeah, but it, but I I agree with uh, I agree with you, David. It's like it, yeah, like shouldn't there be like an auto tune they can do in post to get rid of the accents? No. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I I didn't bring up the the accents, but just, uh, just say I, they know. they immigrated here or something. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's but just but like the, you know, like the, I think. Uh, you know, obviously it's overdone. They overdo the the sort of dark haunted mansion lighting. Clearly, the Fincher influence coming in. I just I just wish they'd done something more interesting and less contained with the setting. Like have it <laughs> go to different floors. There are other have, people in apartment buildings. Yeah, more have there than be more two kooky, neighbors. Yeah, you know? kook, more kooky neighbors, please. Yeah, like I again, something more akin to like Delicatessen. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I, I thought uh, you know Alyssa Sutherland is great though. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. You know, like she's really scary. She gives a very physical performance. She's scary without the makeup, honestly. Wow. Okay. That's just being a mom, Max. It's yeah. being a mom to three kids yeah. and just being yeah. like, I don't know how I'm surviving here. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, All right. I, I, yeah. Well, Divinger Hardor, I am really curious. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Evil Dead Rise? I think you were really looking forward to this sure. movie. Yeah, as I was, was really I, looking forward yeah. to it. I will say my favorite conversations with Max Avery is when I completely disagree with him. <laughs> On yes. every level. So yes. this is strapping for one of those. Um, I will also note here, maybe for Jeff, if he ever listens to this, but, uh, you know, to, to paraphrase uh, Grizzly Man, Jeff Kanata must never see this movie. <laughs> never. Good I, God. He, he, this he, is he did exactly not, what will destroy him. He did yeah. not plan to sit this one out. Yeah. Uh, it just something came up that made it so that we couldn't schedule this review of him. I think that and, worked out for him. But in retrospect, yeah. it worked out really well because I do not, I cannot imagine he would have enjoyed this film. This so, is not a Jeff Kanata movie. Yeah. I will say, I freaking love this movie. And I, I see what you're saying, Max. And I hear this from a lot of Sam Raimi fans. And the thing is, like, I just, I don't know. I think it's, I've lived through a lot of remakes. We've all lived through so many remakes and different things. And I, try not to be too precious about certain things, you know? Like, I think even Sam Raimi doesn't have a consistent idea of what an Evil Dead movie is. I think the first movie has some funny parts, but it's because they had no money. They just kind of had to bullshit their way through a lot of it, you know? And what really works about the first movie is how, like, for me, it did terrify me when I saw that as a kid. Um, I talked to a lot of people, like, there are instances in that first movie which are just horrifying because it would always play on cable and you would sometimes wake up like in the middle of the night being you leave your TV on. It's just like deadites just trying to destroy these people in the cabin. And that is a visceral movie. I think it hits me in gnarly ways too. And I think this movie really gets that. And it even, I think it even heightens the tension more because it does something that I don't think any of the evil dead movies actually did for me. At least Sam Raimi's Um, I actually care about these people. Yes. I care about this family. And, I agree. Yeah. I agree with Devendra. Yeah. That's a ma- that's a major upgrade because it's like <laughs> sure a couple of a couple of idiot 20 somethings go to cabin they die. They don't have distinctive personalities or anything. We kind of accepted that in the first two movies. Ash is a star. I get it. We're here for Ash. We're here for the interplay between that and Ash. This movie 
is kind of unrelenting in terms of who it goes after. I feel bad for the mom. I feel bad, like the initial deadite who's on the poster. So that's not a spoiler, but I feel bad for her and her situation. It's just like, I just, I kind of want things to work out for this lady. Like I totally get where she is coming from, from her, like her life is not going so well right now. It's kind of tough. And they're a couple weeks away from being evicted. This movie doesn't care. This movie doesn't really give you that sort of sense of, um, win that you'd want some characters to get like some some people do by the end and we'll talk about that but i do think like this movie is brutal and it's kind of like it does things i think a lot of more modern horror movies certainly doesn't don't do um nobody is really safe in this and i also think like the overall like the character structure is great i like the family dynamic i care more because it's a family trying to stay together rather than four random friends um i think the set pieces are fantastic like once it gets going lee cronin is just like I got these ideas. I would cheese grater, all these different things that, you know, you don't really, we haven't seen in the evil dead movies before. Of course the chainsaw appears. And I do feel also like these movies are almost mythical in their status. Like there will always be a survivor covered in blood. There will always be a chainsaw or something like there will always be the ritual that gets it all started. And I kind of like that too. Like that's, I think the uh, Fede Alvarez remake is a lot weaker because I, I think most of those actors just weren't great and the script wasn't great, but that movie did do something else with the formula of the first evil Dead. I think this does even more. Um, and I like the idea. I like the idea of different uh, directors coming at evil dead as a concept and just trying to play with it. And I think even Sam Raimi is really thinking about this and he's really thoughtful about it. Uh, he did a great interview with the empire podcast and you know, he talks about like, he really wanted Fede Alvarez to do a sequel. He got too big. He was doing other things. He is really thoughtful and purposeful about who is tackling this property. And right. I think it was uh, the last movie by Lee Cronin, uh, Hole in, The Hole in the Ground, which I haven't seen, but that trailer also looked really, really intriguing, just really spoke to Sam Raimi. So I think, you know, he is he is bestowing the the power of evil dead to these people and he's handpicking them and choosing them. And I think there is there's a lot of like distinctive ideas and distinctive visuals here like this doesn't feel like a run-of-the-mill horror movie to me i realized the day after i saw this that i like my back was just tensed like my body was tensed up because i was just like oh man what is going to happen next uh throughout this entire movie and i wasn't really scared by it but it definitely delivered a great visceral sense of like unease and Mm -hmm. you know just really disturbed me which is kind of what i want I think yeah. that's kind of what the first Evil Dead did do very well. Do you know? Do you know what the most disturbing thing about seeing this movie was? Mm-hmm. It was uh, I saw it in an Alamo Draft House, and I was just so like, in just like horrified by how much food people leave behind. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, some guy just ordered like a plate of chicken wings and ate no chicken it. wings. I hate it. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you did, know, they, did they have like Evil Dead, like really bloody chicken wing? Like that would be that would be a really get your face all red while you're watching <laughs> Evil Dead. Yeah, that'd be great. To to uh, to put Devendra's statement at the end there a different way, Max. Mm-hmm. Who are we, aka who are you, to question the direction that Sam Raimi the wants God, to take his Sam own franchise? Raimi. Yes. Right? Like, like it's not like Sam Raimi people... was ne- was never lent his name or produced a terrible movie in his life. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> wow. Max is just coming for everyone today. Okay. <laughs> well, guys, with Jeff Kanata not here, I think it's best if I attempt to sum up my thoughts on Evil Dead Rise oh boy. in the form of a limerick. Its setup is just as cockamamie. And sometimes it feels a bit samey. 
but family dynamics, great gore and plot mechanics, make this a worthy successor to Raimi. Nice. Ooh, okay. Uh, I, I really like this movie. I thought it was certainly something that delivered on the gore. And it's something that if you enjoyed the 2013 Evil Dead, you're going to like this one a lot, I think. I will um, say, even I, if you if you didn't like that one, because of the thin characters, there's also a good chance you would like this. Yeah, so. but like yeah. just in terms of like the feel and look and, and just like, mm-hmm. it's just you're watching people's bodies get contorted and destroyed and yep. taken apart and ripped apart. You know, like that's what you spend most of the movie doing in both movies, right? And so... Uh, so I, that's why I feel like it's like if you like that movie, I think you'll have a really mm-hmm, good time mm-hmm. with this. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you guys are giving enough credit to. I'm giving uh, you all the, the credit. The yes. cha- well, the change in scenery. Uh, it's uh, transplanting this to a building, like a building with other characters, is actually a really big step for the Evil Dead movies. You know, like, and there are some yeah, yeah. It, with different rooms. Like, I, I know it's you know, and with a family instead of just twenty. Like, these are each like substantially yeah. different. And I think every one of these different elements adds something to the movie. I, I agree. Um, I will just quickly say, like, I, I love apartment movies. I love especially mm-hmm. horror movies set in apartments. It's like mm-hmm. they didn't quite go too far because we see mm-hmm. two neighbors. We see basically four different neighbors, a couple of kids and, you know, the mm-hmm. buff guy and an old dude. And yeah, the thing it. about an apartment is that it's a community. Right. There's a if somebody's making noise, if somebody's like having an exorcism or a <laughs> demonic attack in one floor, your downstairs neighbor will be like, what the hell is going on up there? Yeah, there's, there's the no lady dead. like banging a yeah. broom onto the from the so I, I would have liked some more of that, maybe more of like a Candyman dynamic of like the community of the building. Sam, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think Sam Raimi like just would have been um, if he had translated this. Like, I think he would have. He tends to get like broader character dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. But Max, I will say, you live in a potentially haunted um, apartment building. I feel like you yeah. would be you would be totally down with this. It's, uh, Max lives in a, re- a renovated old hospital. Yes. And you know, you know, some shit went down. I might be in the morgue right now. Yeah. Cause you have the basement. So yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No. It, yeah. And I mean, there, there is definitely like, you know, when you live in an older place, it's like, it was funny. One time I, I, I took a, a, a girl here and she's like, Oh, is it, isn't it, isn't it weird that people like died in your building? I'm like, I think people die in every building. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> wow. Every building. Um, yeah. Well, Anyway, I, I think uh, the apartment building does add a lot to it. Like, mm-hmm, the family mm-hmm. stuff adds a lot to it. As Devinger put it, the most important thing is there's actually characters who I actually care about. The The movie actually gives at least one of the characters an arc, which is not something you can say for most of the Evil Dead movies, I would argue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so for, for those reasons alone... Uh, I, I'm a fan of this movie, but also just like it's a very well executed horror film. The set pieces are all really scary. There's stuff that makes you really uncomfortable. Sound design that's really great. Uh, gory things, body parts being ripped apart that are really creepy, uh, and um, and actually like some decent plot mechanics. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is, in the previous movies, it has been, hey, you got to read these words from the book, you know, to to put the thing away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not going to say what the solution is in this movie, but it actually makes sense in this yeah. movie. Like, uh, Although, once again, characters sense. are like, everyone's like, you shouldn't mess with that. And somebody's <laughs> like, nah, it's, it's fine. I'm just going to go into this, dive into this. What can I will, I will also say yeah. this, this. This version of the Necronomicon is probably my favorite mm-hmm. version in terms of the look of it. I think mm-hmm. this is 
the best one. The last one was also decent, but it had all this terrible writing with like red pen in the margins that I was like, why are you ruining a perfectly good book of yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's an interesting factoid. Uh, the yeah. guy reading the Necronomicon words on the uh, tape in the first movie is uh, Bob Dorian, the uh, the old host of American Movie Classics. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Yeah. And we'll say this in spoilers, but another voice pops up in this tape. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Any, any other thoughts before we get to spoilers or shall we do it? Yeah. I mean... Uh, I'll, I'll get. I will say I'll get. But Max, I want. I want you because we're going to be praising this movie a lot. So I want you to have like your yeah. thoughts out there. Yeah, you're yeah. you're welcome to rebut anything that we have said. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm point. I'm well aware at this point that I'm in the deep minority. On, I'm 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 this. I've this, never. I haven't seen a horror movie rate this so high. Yeah, to me, does in a long, long time. Or, or sorry, yeah. the, the yeah. silent majority. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into spoilers. All right. Let's do spoilers for Evil Dead Rise starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right, so Devendra, who is that voice you're referring to that, that pops up in Evil Dead Rise? Oh, Bruce Campbell is on the on the record. Oh, he's, that's he's awesome. one of yeah. the he's one of the priests like shouting to the to the main guy like don't yeah. put it away. I, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I think he says it 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 was buried for a reason or something yeah. like that, or it's called something the Book like of that. the Dead for a reason or something. Yeah, and I read he yeah. also did he did people like to do little bits of sound effects in these movies. So like I think that there was something involving an eyeball being chomped. That's Bruce Campbell. Team. Oh yeah, <laughs> okay. Fun. So so that I will say. I wasn't a fan of because I think in is it Evil Dead Two that someone swallows an eyeball basically yes. right yeah yeah that was um, by accident and and, and, and it yeah. was kind of like you know again that that movie has a a relatively jokey zany mm-hmm. tone and when it happens in this movie it just feels completely out of place in my opinion like mm-hmm. I mean because it, it's among the many things that get ripped open in this movie well <laughs> it's just it's just it's not it's not the idea of the person's eyeball getting mm-hmm. it's the idea mm-hmm. of it going into someone's mouth is kind of like a right right that's like a gag literally yeah. fi- figuratively yeah. and it's um it just doesn't didn't work for me in this movie but mm-hmm. uh here let's talk about this so now that we're in spoiler territory what did you think of the very opening of this movie which pays clear homage to the evil dead evil dead 2 and evil dead you best, know in terms uh, of best cabin of the franchise right the nice a yeah, frame I, I definitely stayed in airbnbs looking. i've stayed in airbnbs yes. like that yeah i yeah. see them listed all the time yeah. I, I did not uh care for this uh i, mm-hmm. I did not like the opening because uh it, it gives away the ending right so you know uh, <laughs> I, I mean we, <laughs> we all know that there's gonna be probably another evil dead movie if this one does well but you don't need to telegraph it. And, and so the whole time I'm thinking to myself, okay, yeah. well, whatever these people yes. go through, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, I think that, that is the n- overreaching message we get from the Evil Dead movies, too, is like, it never stops. Like, once you're in yeah. it, you're in it. Sure, forever. sure. But I would have yeah, liked yeah, yeah. to find that out at the end of the movie at the instead end. of at the beginning of the movie. I, I think but, it, I, but I know yeah. they wanted to do the homage, right? Like, yes. it's like they yes. want to trick you into being like, hey, this is like the other Evil Dead movies, but. Uh, it's a, I, again, like the screen movies, I like the way when you change up the formula, right? Like mm-hmm. when, when your intro is doing something new and different, like self-contained five minute evil dead movie. Also the opening camera shot, which is yeah, a, drone like a drone shot. It is a drone shot. I, but I was also thinking to myself when I was watching it, I was like, yeah. oh, they can use drones to do they this now. And then it literally was it. a drone, right? That's so fun. That was funny. Yeah, That's that was funny. funny. And yeah. I also think, um, yeah. all the little tidbits, um, there, I forget like what the, what the actual, like, uh, what was the thing that hurt the person in the in the opening? But the 
perhaps one of the best like title cards I've seen in yeah. a very long time. I just like I wanted to clap. That's pretty that. good. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty When the title comes yeah. up and she's like rising out of the water, that's very yeah. good. Um, if only the rest of the movie had the energy of the first 15 mm. seconds of the credits. Wow. <laughs> wow. I think uh, when the woman rips the other, like when one of the yes, girls the scalp, rips the other the girl's scalp, yeah. the idea that that girl would be able to then crawl like a quarter mile from the cabin to the dock made absolutely no sense. Like if you did, if that happened to you, you would be in shock and then you would die shortly afterwards, probably. <laughs> Um, or you'd be just so, like, ow. Ow. <laughs> you might say, ow, yeah. So I, I wasn't a huge fan, but Divinity it sounds like you like the opening. It worked for you. I, yeah. I think it's a I, I think it was a lot of fun. I, I like the fact that it is a weird thing to go into, like, because once you know, once this movie ends, like that stuff still happens. So they did set up the potential sequels, but I kind of want to see where this goes. I hope Lee Cronin like gets to keep going in this universe because these characters are compelling. I think um, Beth is is the main person we're following. Like she has a really interesting arc, and I kind of want to see what the what the evil what the dead do, especially if they get if what Max is this is evil dead involuntarily to your statements? <laughs> yeah, yeah, to yeah. Your positive statements about the movie, Devendra. But uh, uh, give like what if what if they were just like here here's actual money. Here's actual, you know, 50 million plus to do a, a, a larger scale Evil Dead movie. I feel like Lee Cronin would deliver something really interesting. Yeah, that would yeah. be cool. We've never we've never gotten that. Mm-hmm. We've never gotten a big budget Evil Dead movie. I mean, Army of Darkness. Well, we had Doctor Strange. And yeah, yeah, that's true. We madness. had Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Army of Darkness is like relatively large in scale, you know, with yeah. many different locations and uh, and uh, but not a very expensive so movie, I believe. But, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Max, did the opening work? It sounds like the opening might have actually worked for you, and you did yeah, like the rest I, of the movie. I, I kind of like that it, uh, you know, you come in expecting it to be a high rise movie or, or an urban movie, and it, and it's and it starts, you know, back at a cabin. Um, I was a little, I was honestly, I was a little confused because I thought that the girl that's possessed there was the the lead girl, uh, uh, Lily Sullivan. I thought, right. I thought, <laughs> and I, I, so that. And then I was like, oh, mm-hmm. no, that couldn't be her. And then, um, but uh, no, I mean, it was, it was, it was fine. I mean, like I said, like, I, I wasn't like, I didn't start like rolling my eyes and groaning until about the middle of the movie. Cause it was just, that's when it was just, it just sort of started to become a slog mm-hmm. for me. Cause I realized, oh, this is going to be like pretty witless. This is going to be just like a lot of gore without any real, like, like, like gleeful, like, mm-hmm you know, imagination to it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think one of the challenges of the evil dead movies for me has always been the lack of rules, mm-hmm. you know, um, who, who, why do they possess the people they possess? Mm-hmm. How can you transfer possession? Is it just go through the air? Do you have to touch well, there, them? There's always some like bodily fluid. It's a bite or you, you inhale some of the vomit or something like it, it, there's an exchange of fluids. Wasn't that there is one guy vomit. in like the second one where like, the deadite just like kind of put their hand yeah. on his face yeah. and like that yeah. is it. Uh, okay, so, I mean, you get some, you know, some stuff in there. On yeah, that okay, hand. but the, yeah. but the initial when the initial yes. person she doesn't need to be touched by anything. It no. just you know it's it's a presence that comes. The presence her. finds that person and then spreads outwards. Yeah. But then they obviously spend a lot of time toying with these people, and it's like, mm-hmm. are, are they trying to terrify them or are they just trying to kill them? You know, it doesn't really make any sense just to me. Chaos, but, man. Just but chaos. what I appreciated about this movie is. 
uh, first of all, I like the whole aesthetic of the whole uh, mm-hmm. record player and how it wasn't spinning at an RPM that would actually make sense. So they had to like physically turn it, and they kept doing that throughout the whole movie. So that was that kid like, has such a killer DJ setup. Like what yeah, a what a spoiled that, kid, man. That was cool. Uh, yeah. And then they, 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 there is actually a solution for how to purge yourself of the deadite situation, which is you must dismember them and grind all of their body parts into bits. That's kind yeah. of there, what... There was a solution. That's like the Highlander dead, solution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. And uh, and I, I, that seemed like, oh yeah, that that's logical. That makes sense. Because you've seen how unstoppable this force is. And so it's like the only solution is cut their bodies up into tiny bits so they can't hurt you anymore. And I'm like, Make oh, some hamburger sense. meat. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Again... You know, at the very end, the spirit comes out and infects that other girl. But like, whatever, you know, <laughs> they you didn't can't... do the cer- they didn't do any ceremony to send it back to another dimension or whatever. Yes, so I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that, but like, uh, dismembering it wasn't enough. So yep. you know, whatever. I, the the lack of rules has always kind of bothered because it's like, what is the objective here? If the ghost can just get into you at any time it wants, mm-hmm, you know, it's mm-hmm. what what are, we, what are you doing here? Um, but at <laughs> the same some time, fun times, Dave. Yeah, That's but at the same doing. time, it's like, hey, some of these yeah. are really, really great set pieces. The cheese grater stuff, the tattoo stuff, like it's all just those are great gags. Um, I love the scene when uh, she's kind of looking through the little porthole, and you see like mm-hmm. a whole action scene play out in the port. The, Love it. Door thing. That's amazing. I love that they they do set up that angle before too, so you're not too surprised by it. Like there's there's like a lot of fun inventive stuff. And also that in that scene is where the first kid is killed. And then I was like, oh man, this movie is just there weren't kids in Evil Dead movies before. Yeah. And that that does hit different now. It does hit a little hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's not it's not afraid to kill this movie is not afraid to kill kids, you know, and that's and that kid's just sitting there in the back. Like man, he's not. He's a, I, yeah. I, yeah, I feel really bad for the little girl who who you know yeah. who survives this. Like the the girl in aliens too. I, I, aliens, I was yeah. impressed by. Can, can I can I talk yeah. about that? Like, please go ahead, Max. Go Devendra ahead. just brought up something which was like a huge pet peeve for mm-hmm. me, which is mm-hmm. this movie. It's aliens. Makes not 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 subtle. Yeah. Uh, reference to The Shining and aliens, mm-hmm. like. Like, like there's a, the elevator that opens up with the blood. There's even yeah. the, they do the shot where from underneath where she's at the door. Like that's also from The Shining. Yeah. And then they do the whole thing of like the little girl running under the truck. And it's like, you know, like she might as well have said, get away from her, you bitch. Like, you know, it's like it's, and I'm just like, <laughs> again, like how fucking lame. Is that like it's so bush league? It's like if I made a game. Max, you you want them to also replicate the witty the witty tone of the original Sam Raimi stuff. So but that's, I mean, like, Sam, I, Ra- Sam yeah. Raimi is what is Army of Darkness made literally explicit reference to multiple other like the Dave Earth stood still and like, yeah 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 all that stuff. That's you fun. know, mm, I don't know. It's like <laughs> to me, it's like it's like if I made a gangster movie and had a character say, "I'll make him an offer he can't refuse." Get it? It's from The Godfather, the most I would famous gangster you, movie. If you ever. made a gangster movie, Sam, I would. <laughs> Like Max, I feel like you would, uh, you would do, you would do your own spin on that, like, like a sort of underhanded reference to it. And I do feel like a lot of the, the, the bloody, do- the, the it, elevator's yeah. opening was def- very direct, but it's, I think a lot of it's playing, like it's playing to the cheap seats. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's just, it's, it's too fine. easy. It's, it's too fine. easy. I oh. <laughs> think you are wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I, I would agree with you about the elevator. Like that was pretty yeah. blatant. And I was thinking to myself as I was watching it. Oh well, at least in this movie, it's motivated by the plot. And then I'm like, no, yeah. no, that doesn't make any sense. Like, well, it, there, the there's a reason it happens. It just yeah. no, but it's like yeah. it's not like blood has been a big 
um, sort of theme throughout the movie. It's just like, oh, it just starts filling up with blood, and that's it. Uh, it just comes out of nowhere. There's no real buildup to it or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I will, I will, I'm a little bit sympathetic to you there, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with a director yeah. homaging certain shots from other movies. Um, and I guess you could say it could be subtler, but he, they don't call it out. They don't say somebody doesn't, the, the little girl doesn't sit up from the blood and say, Hey, just like from the shining, like that doesn't mm-hmm. happen in this movie, <laughs> you know? So I just feel like you're going way too hard on this movie for, uh, having some visual similar that are clearly I, I have had many of these arguments with Matt yeah, clearly so, trying to yeah. pay respect to these <laughs> other directors. I, I don't, yeah. I don't agree with that. But let me ask you this question next. Like, mm-hmm. is there mm-hmm. anything about the movie that you actually liked, you know, any, any craft in the movie that you actually appreciated? Um, okay. So like I said, I, I, I liked the lead, uh, Ashley, I thought she was, she was great. Um, and I, I liked, I agree with you about, you know, the, uh, changing the setting up. I thought that was a good move. You know, it's why I would rate this one higher than, uh, Fede's movie. Um, and, uh, and I, I like Fede too. I, I actually, I, I saw him work, uh, in Budapest making Don't Breathe. And then I had the honor of sitting next to him, watch the finished movie with an audience. And like, Amazing. he got so excited when the Turkey baster scene happened. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but um, the one thing, the, uh, th- there was one thing I thought was really cool. Um, but then like a- after the movie, it had a stank on it for me. And so let me explain mm-hmm. is the um, uh, uh, Morgan Davis as Danny. I thought it was cool that they just had a uh, trans, you know, a, a trans character mm-hmm. uh, or just an actor, you know, a trans actor playing, uh, you know, uh, that, that role. And they didn't make a thing about it. Like, you know, when, it, when the sister was making a, you know, a, a protest sign, like she could have been making like a trans rights sign, but no, it's, it's something about the environmentalism or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's like, again, like they, they didn't draw attention to it. They just cast him. Great. But like, um, the thing that got me that I started thinking about it at, uh, after it was over was like uh, Gabriel Eccles as Bridget, like her look suggests either like kind of lesbian or non-binary or at very least non-normative female presentation. And so like, and like she's the protester and she's all about feminism and everything. And uh, I just think it's interesting that those two characters become evil and then is the one cisgender kid, Cassie, mm. that survives. Mm-hmm. So it's like you could are you could even argue that the evil is all Danny's fault. Like he like he unleashed it. So it's like, is that the filmmakers kind of coding things for the cheap seats, trying to like kind of have their cake and eat it too? Like I assume there are a lot of pardon the expression, uh, podunk dumb shits who are fans of this franchise and like see Ash as like an aspirational figure and not the numbskull that he is. But like, <laughs> would you, would that kind of subtle transphobia play to that contingent? I don't know. I'm not here to white knight for anyone. It's not my place. Yeah. I just want to know if what you guys thought about that. It's a, uh, I mean, I definitely, I think about that. Like whenever anybody, you know, from any subgroup, like who could be harmed in the, in that portrayal, like uh, appears in this movie. I think what happens is that everybody gets fucked in this movie. Like every, mm-hmm. like the kids early on, like everybody is just kind of totaled by this whole thing. So I didn't, that didn't fully register with me, but you know, so somebody could have an issue with that. I could see that. Yeah. I, I could see it being an issue too. Um, at the same time, it's like, uh, should should trans characters be exempt from being victims in horror movies? You know, right. I, I don't know. I don't know that anyone's making that argument, but 
um, it's it's worth uh, considering, Max. So I feel, I, feel I will say I still feel for this whole thing. Like I think back on this movie, I'm like, man, I if only that kid didn't do, it didn't like play those damn records. Like if right, only right. if only this one if only they got out in time. Like I sure I just really like this family because they're also clearly like a family that's kind of reeling for their father just left. Like they're about to be evicted. The mom is like clearly just like just trying to deal with what she can. Yeah. And I could totally understand her too. And the kids aren't fully like vibing with her either too. Like that sort of like resistance from one of the daughters, like you're not, you're not doing our laundry properly. There's a lot going on. And I just feel bad for a lot of these characters because it's like there, there's a humanity to them that wasn't in the other movies, to be honest. Like the, those other yeah. films I, felt I like stock and, characters. Yeah. And we even got a subplot with, uh, the character of, uh, Beth, played by mm-hmm. Lily Sullivan, uh, where her whole thing is, yeah. My sense is she she thinks of herself as a, a screw up and not ready for responsibility, and throughout the course of the movie, learns how to become a mom. Right? That's yeah. kind of this is another metaphor for motherhood. Yeah, it's, an, it's another metaphor yeah. for motherhood, and yeah, it, it is. I don't think it's like the best executed version of this that mm-hmm. I've seen, but it is at least a I would argue a competently executed version. Mm-hmm. Of this, where through the course of their adventures, um, she learns something about herself and those around her, and um, her and, entire and family the, may die, but she learns something. Yeah, <laughs> and these and are I, things again that, could yeah. could be interpreted as a uh, a pro life, <laughs> a pro life stance. Like, you know, like I always, I'm always like I always. Hey, the guy. I, don't, I don't think the the existence of children should just be taken. I don't. The pro life <laughs> people cannot just have that. Kids, kids can be okay. kids can be okay. All right, what, what, what was that movie where they where they where they can't talk because the aliens will hear them? What was that called? There's like, there was were that, two of them. Um, Quiet Place. Quiet, Quiet Place. place? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was I was the guy watching the Quiet Place, just being like, abort, 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 abort. abort. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because yeah, that that was not the universe to bring a baby into. No, for sure. Nor for is sure. this one. Yeah. Um, but uh, that that I mean that brings up something for me, which is just like. You know, like the, one of the big elements of this movie, the sort of the big um, twist, which which they've talked about, I think, even in pre-publicity, is that um, they're sort of cementing that all the movies are part of the same universe and that they're, they're, there's not one book. There's actually three books. Right. There's the one from the Sam Raimi movies. There's the one from the remake. And then there's this one. When you say um, they, what do you mean by that? What is the they? producers? They're, they're produ- and, okay, but and, it, and in the movie itself, yeah, yeah. like they say. How how is it in the movie? Where is it in the movie? Can you explain they're, they're that? On the um on the record that they play, one of uh-huh. the priests is like, "There's three books." There's three oh, books. Also, we see three books in uh, yeah. Army of Darkness too. I, I almost wonder if like that sort of thing was related or just a gag in Army of Darkness. Yeah, I thought that was but, just a gag. Oh, yeah. but, but okay, yeah. so there's three books. There's the the one from the um. Last, which where are the three books from again? Which from the there's the one from the Sam Raimi, the next the ne- one they call the Necronomicon. There's the one from the remake, 20, Evil Dead twenty thirteen, yeah. And then there's there's there's, there's this one. one, okay. Yeah, yeah. and it's it, cinematic it even universe brewing. So, so, huh. so, so, yeah. so theoretically, they all take place like theoretically, they can all take place in the same universe. Then, in that, right? In that yeah, book, yeah, but and and like so that's my question is like, is an Evil Dead crossover movie with Bruce Campbell, mm-hmm. Jane Levy, and Lily Sullivan, and some little kid, and also a baby, maybe really something we want I to see. I mean, hey, that's we don't know what's going to happen. Bruce Campbell has also said like he has basically hung up the chainsaw because he did three seasons of that TV show. Yeah, you know, so I don't, I don't know if he's even physically like wants to do the stuff anymore. But man, especially with Sam, Sam Raimi, smacking him around. Yeah, yeah. But if Sam Raimi got the green light to do. Let's uh, let's unite some of the Evil Dead's. I think I think we're gonna forget all about the Fidel Alvarez movie, to be honest. But 
unite you know the ash universe with this one and give it to sam raimi or at least some sort of co-production that would be fun as hell i would yeah. i would I see mean, that last yeah. i heard jane levy is not super psyched about the horror genre in general yeah i mean sullivan's character beth doesn't to me i mean i know you like her divinity but like mm-hmm. she, she didn't have much of a personality she's kind of like a video game character like she mm-hmm. just acts the way the plot needs her to act in that moment um like it'll just be these two grim traumatized women and then ash probably making snide sexist comments yep. To yep. ash not a great dude right now <laughs> yeah, what a what a what a really weird set of characters to have survived these movies uh no. i mean I or, say- or they could just they could just maybe just keep making more evil dead movies with hot leads you know like evil mm-hmm. dead at coachella evil dead <laughs> in an office building evil dead on a spacex evil flight, dead whatever. in a city let's go yeah. a real city not just yeah. one floor of an apartment building <laughs> yeah. do, do it the scream six way film it in a you know vancouver or montreal or whatever <laughs> montreal. um the uh one of the things that this movie does continue the trend of is though uh this movie continues to make evil dead movies look like hell to film mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is particularly towards the end when there's this whole elevator full of blood, apparently what was it? 1700 gallons of blood was used for this movie. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Lily Sullivan is just covered with blood for the rem- the last like good 15, 20 yeah. minutes of this movie. That's the that blood imagery you want. And it's, it's, just, it's just like every day. I'm sure yeah. it took her weeks to film those sequences. And it's just every day she comes to work. They got to drench her with blood. I'm sure it's extremely uncomfortable. Um, but Think about the, looks- the little girl too. Like, I, yeah. I, I feel like, how do you keep that kid's also safe and also like sane while making this like horrific thing while a homunculus of her family like chases them around a garage i, I, I am love so that curious. creature by the way yeah I, I, I am so curious because most of the shots with the little girl uh i felt like could have been achieved right by using separate. like a body double or someone separate or something like that mm-hmm. little girl by the way uh, cassie played by nell fisher Ooh. adorable um you know yeah adorable very very precocious you know but she doesn't get that many lines in the movie so she's not that annoying um but <laughs> my, my, my daughter would have opened that door for the mom. She would have done um, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Every, yeah, that's, every how, kid that's how a kid would act. That's the yeah. success. That's the success of the movie, in my opinion, is that girl opened that door and I wasn't annoyed by it because I was I thought I thought to myself, that's something that a normal kid would this do. This is true. Situation. This is true. Yeah. They survived the Dave test. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then but there. So I was thinking to myself the whole time. I'm, th- I'm thinking to myself, how did they prevent this person from seeing horrible atrocities? Yeah. And the one that yeah. was most questionable to me was when she shoves like a wooden stake through that girl's skull uh her sister's skull i think oh yeah uh, it came out just, of nowhere where did yeah, that thing come from it was yeah. she made that at the beginning right yeah, she it made that like at the beginning stake, yeah and yeah. then she put the head on how convenient how yeah. convenient <laughs> yeah um but, <laughs> but, also, but I, was like, like, I was just like i, was just like, I don't <laughs> know how they filmed this you could without her that seeing part. a yeah. thing going through someone's skull like hey, i found a bunch the, of old records in the in the parking garage good thing i have two turntables wow well, Max, I sense you didn't really enjoy the movie, and that's unfortunate. Um, but I just it just it just wasn't what I wanted. You know. Yeah. Did like, you see I, the TV series, Max? Because that okay, is what so, you want. So I watched the first episode. This it's is good. How, this is how much of a it's picky good. asshole I. This is how much of a picky asshole I am. Uh-huh. I watched the first episode, directed by Sam Raimi. Directed to by be Sam clear. Raimi. Exactly. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, and then I watched the second episode and I realized the first episode had like three times the budget of the rest yeah, of the show yeah. it's, it's, and, I'm it just, and the rest of the show is not directed by Sam Raimi. I'm like, Ugh, not worth my time. That's it's fun. It's, it I is mean, it's, fun. it's like, what, if what, what, want, what I'm basically saying is I, I really, yeah. I just want, I, I want original recipe, you know, uh, Max is never happy. I think that's, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that's what really what it comes down to. But that show is fun. Like it is yeah. fun, even though the budget does go way down for the rest of it. But Raimi pops up, I think for some future episodes too. Yeah. 
Okay. What, what are some horror films that you you recommend recently, Max? Is there anything that you you know just so, to give us a better sense of what your taste is? Um, what my taste is? Well, I mean, like I I find myself increasingly this retreating into uh, 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 older shit, like just because. I mean, Max, you yeah. you would host Vincent Price movie parties. Yeah, sure I, ho- I host like, that. That I is host, that yeah. is the level we're dealing with right here. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, like you know, somebody asked me like like what's a What's a movie that I um I I, I, rec- I recommend like uh I, there's a really great like Australian movie from 1982 called Next of Kin that nobody talks about nobody's uh-huh. seen it and it's like I it's have amazing. seen that movie I've seen that movie. isn't that a movie amazing I mean I was barely sentient when I oh, saw did you see it. it in a marathon or something <laughs> just I uh, saw it when I was like a kid you know so oh, I barely okay. knew what was going on but yeah yeah but yeah yes, yeah Patrick Swayze right no 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 no. Different oh. movie, like I said, okay. nobody's seen this. It's, it's from nineteen eighty-two. It's an Australian movie. It's uh, it, like it takes place at, at okay. like, I, I an old folks' seen, home. I have not seen that one. I have not yeah. seen that one. It's a horror movie. It takes place in an old folks' home. It's 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 incredibly stylish, incredibly brilliant. Like uh, you know, another movie I recommend when people ask me to recommend them horror movies, I recommend this movie from nineteen seventy-four called Chosen Survivors, hmm. which is like it's a, it's a movie about a, a, a there's like a, a, an apocalyptic event, like a, like a nuclear war. And they put like all these people, like you know, football players, scientists, a uh, uh, this, a uh, that, in a bunker underground, and um, and then uh, like halfway through the movie, they realize that inside this underground bunker, the vents are full of vampire bats. Love it, love it, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It's just I I love crazy shit like that, and it's like when when it's like you know the Conjuring Five or whatever. Like I'm just like. <sighs> There's another insidious coming. I yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of, um, you know, be, being fan wanked. Like I, I do kind of want to see like, what's the next level thing. Like, I mean, I thought it follows was fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I want to see more stuff like that. I want to see more yep. stuff where, where it's like somebody coming up with an idea where you're like, how has nobody done this before? I think, did you see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? I feel like was a good spin on no. the slasher idea. I think you would enjoy that too. Okay. Yeah. Was that yeah, the, yeah. Was that, who, who, is in, who is in that one? Pete, one Pete with, Davidson. That's yeah. the Pete Davidson one. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought so. That's fun. All right. Well, uh, despite the fact that you didn't enjoy this movie <laughs> basically at all, and not only that, don't appear to enjoy modern horror movies <laughs> most of the time. Most of the time uh, I'm, now. I'm still really appreciative of uh, you joining us. Max Avery is a freelance writer mm-hmm. who's done audio commentaries for Blu-rays from companies like Arrow, Kino, Lorber, and Imprint. In May, you'll be able to hear him on the Blu-ray commentary for Michael Mann's Black Hat. And in August, he'll be releasing a book called A Masterpiece in Disarray, David Lynch's Dune and Oral History, now available for pre-order. Hey, Max, thanks so much for joining us today on the Filmcast. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Oh, guys, it was my pleasure. Anytime. Yeah. Please have me back for Dune Part 2. So I can oh, trash that as well. There you go. Well. That actually works. Oh, God. Jeez. Okay. Well, anyway, um, at the end of the day, you know, it is still pretty impressive, despite everything Max said, that Lee Cronin, the director of Evil Dead Rise, made a movie. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, and find us on uh, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at thefilmcastpod. And on TikTok at thefilmcast. We're posting new videos every single week. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Our spoiler music and our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. Our uh, opening theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. And video assistance was provided by Kurt Mega and John Barry.
Next week on the filmcast, it's going to be Sisu. Uh, mm. Sisu, new action movie out in theaters right now, uh, or will be out soon, and uh, has a pretty amazing trailer. The question is going to be, uh, is the movie going to equal the trailer in terms of this quality? We will sure. find out very shortly. Um, but that's what we're going to be discussing here on the filmcast. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash filmpodcast for your support. Uh, We'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Until then, goodbye.